Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 52. Welcome to the shutdown. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. FEMA says we're sending 400 ventilators. Really? What am I going to, what am I going to do with 400 ventilators when I need 30,000? You pick the 26,000 people who are going to die because you only sent 400 ventilators. That's Governor Andrew Cuomo, America's favorite governor right now, a guy many wish was our president right now. He's angry because he's paying attention. He's channeling the anger of millions of New Yorkers and tens of millions of Americans and hundreds of millions worldwide. He's the best kind of angry American. He's bringing truth. He's bringing candor. He's bringing empathy. He's bringing leadership. He's bringing the kind of leadership we need right now. Here in New York City, in Seattle, all across America, and all across the globe. And he's bringing the fire. Andrew Cuomo's bringing the fire for all of us. For the doctors, for the nurses, for the cops, for the firefighters, for the parents, for the children, for the young, for the old. Cuomo is the conscience of America right now and the guardian of the soul of our nation. And the soul of our nation needs guarding right now, not just from the coronavirus, but from the actions and stupidity and negligence of President Mayhem and others like him. As I've said before, we may find a vaccine to protect us from the coronavirus, but there is still no vaccine for stupid. And stupid continues to spread even faster than the coronavirus itself. Stupid is contagious. It's infecting many. And it's rampant inside Washington and especially inside the White House. You enabled, I guess is probably the best way to put it, the Defense Production Act yesterday, but you didn't pull the trigger on it. No, because we hope we're not going to need that. You're getting a lot of calls on Capitol Hill from the Democratic leadership to pull the trigger on it. Why, why, what's the rationale for not doing that? Uh, first of all, governors are supposed to be doing a lot of this work, and they are doing a lot of this work. The federal government's not supposed to be out there buying vast amounts of items and then shipping. You know, we're not a shipping clerk. We're not a shipping clerk. No but you're supposed to have our back and sending ammunition and body armor to our troops in combat. That doesn't make you a shipping clerk and sending masks and ventilators to governors and doctors on the front lines. It makes you a competent commander in chief, one who ensures our fighters have what they need, but Trump's not, he's not competent. He's not empathetic and he's not on lockdown. The one who probably should be on lockdown, maybe locked down in handcuffs, is not locked down. Not yet, anyway. But we are. Seattle is shut down. New York is shut down. Las Vegas is shut down. California is shut down. Connecticut, Delaware, Illinois, Louisiana, New Jersey, all shut down. So are Hawaii, Indiana, Kentucky, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Mexico, Oregon, Washington, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. And cities and counties like Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, St. Louis, Missouri, and Denver, Colorado are also under stay-at-home orders. Stay-at-home orders are in place for one-third of all Americans. 
one-third of America is shut down. And that's what needs to happen to save lives, to beat the virus, and to protect our future. So shut it down. We can handle it. We must handle it. Because coronavirus is contagious as hell. And a shutdown can help flatten the curve. If we work together. Because cooperation is contagious too. And let's be real, so is fear. But stupid is highly contagious. At least among those around Trump. But so is calm. And we went deep on that two episodes ago with Navy SEAL Commander Chris Fussell. Calm is contagious. And so is heroism. Courage can inspire courage. And our guest coming up is as courageous as they come. He's Medal of Honor recipient, activist, best-selling author, and human motivational machine, Captain Florent Flo Groberg. He's the first foreign-born recipient of the Medal of Honor since the Vietnam War. He's a great immigration story, and he served on the front lines of America's wars. And on one fateful day, on the morning of August 8, 2012, Flo was wounded in Afghanistan, saving the lives of many. He answered the call when the moment came, and that moment changed his life forever. It took his friends. It shattered his body. It pounded his mind. But he dug deep, physically, mentally, and he's candid about how hard it can be. He knows isolation. He knows depression. He knows struggle. And he's fought through an incredibly painful, lonely, long recovery, just like we will as a nation now after coronavirus. But just like we will, Flo rose up. He overcame the adversity. Now he teaches and inspires others, and he'll teach and inspire you. I talked to him on National Medal of Honor Day from his home, shut down in Seattle, where he continues to lead his community now as Seattle became the front line in America's war against the coronavirus. He's insightful. He's passionate. He's real. And it's exactly the kind of conversation we need right now to lift us up and help us through this. Flo will help us all adapt, improvise, and overcome. He'll help us keep fighting, innovating, and creating. He brings light, not heat. And like the rest of us, in Seattle, in New York, in Florida, in Mississippi, and across the entire globe, wherever you are, Flo, you, me, we're all riders on the storm now. And this conversation with Captain Flo Groberg is another one that'll bring you information that you can use to keep yourself, your loved ones, your neighbors, and your country safe. Because it'll give you perspective and motivation. But unlike President Mayhem, we have a plan, a plan for this show, and we stay on plan. So don't miss out on the car question, his favorite drink, and his favorite color of peep. By the way, peeps will last however long the lockdown lasts. And coming up later, I'll have an important action you can take to help the helpers responding to the coronavirus. I've got some special thank yous and info about our two new shows. Yes, two new shows are coming at you from Righteous Media. But first, as always, 
There are a few key issues that have me angry, have others angry, and should have everyone angry. And that, of course, starts again and until further notice with our war against the coronavirus. We all now appreciate the threat. At least most of us do. And this is an immeasurably critical time. So to the folks out there that are still doubting whether or not we should move this aggressively as a nation, here's former Health and Human Services Secretary Mike Levitt on CNN with Chris Cuomo talking about the coronavirus response. Well, part of this is human nature. We have to acknowledge that there has been skepticism about this. The problem is that anything you say before a pandemic actually happens seems alarmist. Uh, after it begins to unfold, anything you said or anything that's been done seems inadequate. And that's the phase we're in right now. There are a lot of people out shopping uh, in line tonight who wish they'd have done it a couple of weeks ago. But they are, in fact, beginning to comport with the rules. I think what's happening in this country is remarkable. Shutting down entire sports leagues, uh, standing aside from traditions and, and weddings and graduations and People coming together to do it. Are they all doing it in a sense of just, are, are, is anybody pleased about this? Absolutely not. But we're doing a hard thing. And we, and we need to acknowledge that this is historic. And we can make a difference that's never happened in human history before. Levitt's not some partisan. He was a Republican governor of Utah. And he's right. We can, if we stick together. And New York City will be the next battlefield. I'm here in New York City. Maybe you're wondering what that's like. Tell by my attitude that I most definitely from Well, let me break it down for you. The streets are empty. People are nervous. But people are still moving around. People are still connecting. People are still united in the best ways that they can be. There are no planes overhead anymore. There are no helicopters overhead anymore except police helicopters and sirens. Lots of sirens. It reminds me of the days and weeks and months after 9-11 where it seemed like every night you heard a siren going around New York City. New Yorkers are tough. They rally together. But they're also vigilant and they're paying attention. And they're concerned. They're concerned. And they know that this is right now the global epicenter for the world's fight against the coronavirus. And we're up for it. We're New Yorkers. We survived 9-11. We survived plenty of other things, and we'll survive this. But we got to stick together, and we need your help. Just like Seattle needed your help, New York will need your help. And next, it could be New Orleans or Atlanta. As the fight against the coronavirus wages across our country, we must be united. And right now, New York needs your help. And after we get through it, New York will help you. And I'm particularly grateful for Governor Andrew Cuomo's leadership, and for all the others who are doing what they can and have to do right now to keep us safe. It's like being a parent. It takes courage sometimes to do the things that are unpopular, but that's what real leaders do. I like basketball games, hugs from my friends, riding on the ferry, and going to Yankee games as much as anyone. I also like the old people in my life, and I want my kids to have more time with their grandparents. So if that's the choice we have to make... Now 
and New Yorkers are rising to the moment. But Trump, as usual, is not rising to the moment. He doesn't put out good info. He doesn't ask people to sacrifice. He doesn't tell the truth. And he doesn't understand at all. What do you say the Americans were scared, though? I guess nearly 200 dead, 14,000 who were sick, millions, as you witnessed, who are scared right now. What do you say to Americans who are watching you right now who are scared? Uh, I say that you're a terrible reporter. That's what I say. I think it's a very nasty question, and I think it's a very bad signal that you're putting out to the American people. The American people are looking for answers, and they're looking for hope. And you're doing sensationalism, and uh, the same with NBC and Comcast. I don't call it, I don't call it Comcast, I call it Comcast. Let me just ask for whom you work. Let me just say something. That's really bad reporting. And you ought to get back to reporting instead of sensationalism. Let's see if it works. It might and it might not. I happen to feel good about it, but who knows? I've been right a lot. Let's see what happens. Yeah, let's see what happens. That's a hell of a plan. We're seeing what happens, all right. And he's not right a lot. He's wrong a lot, maybe more than ever. And that's saying something with Trump. And maybe most disturbingly, he continues to act like a terrible human being. On top of Senator Paul, now four senators are in isolation. And the rules say that in order to vote, they have Who to are be there. Who are they? Uh, Romney, Senator Lee, Senator Gardner, Senator, Senator Rick Scott. Also, two of them were in contact well, with Rick. Is with coming Rick. out. Um, with the critical stimulus package vote expected. Romney's in isolation? Yes. yes. Gee, that's too bad. Um, Go ahead. He's just disgusting. And our kids are watching now more than ever. And he still doesn't give a shit. President Mayhem just keeps finding new and disgusting ways to show how not to be a leader. But thankfully, some of the television networks have finally found the courage and integrity to cut away from his pressers filled with meanness, misinformation, and confusion. It's a move in the interest of the public good, and it shouldn't have taken that long. And now, thankfully, there's a contrast. Governor Cuomo is pushing back on the stupidity of Trump daily, and he's winning. To President Trump, what would your message be about balancing the economy versus making sure this no longer spreads? We have to be smarter about it. You can't sacrifice human life to get the stock market up. I don't, that is a repugnant concept. Can you come up with a public health strategy that gets people back to work, younger people, recovered people, and starts the economy going? Yes, but that's the refinement. There are people who can go back to work. Younger people can go. People who are resolved can go back to work. Uh, but don't ask the American people to choose and say, well, the people who are going to pass away from this virus, they were old anyway. They were vulnerable anyway. We're just going to leave them aside. There is no dollar figure on human life in this country. That's what leadership sounds like. That's what integrity sounds like. That's what America sounds like. But that's not what Trump sounds like. And we learned this week that Trump was warned in January about the potential for a pandemic. January. It was a big story in the media for about 20 minutes. And many were surprised. Why is anyone surprised that Trump knew months ago and did nothing? He knows now that we all know that he knows 
and he's still not addressing the threat properly. Why would anyone expect him to be any different back in January when we all didn't know? Integrity is doing the right thing when nobody's watching. He didn't have integrity in January. He doesn't have it now. He's never had it. This is who he is. We can't trust him, and we can't count on him. He's like the virus itself. We need to contain him until we can remove him. And I think he knows we're coming. I think he knows we're angry. And I think he's at least a little bit worried. I have a question for you. So we have a lot of very angry media all around this room, and they want one of these seats. But because of social distancing, we are keeping them empty. And they are keeping them empty. Will there ever be a time when all of those really angry, angry people who don't like me much to start off with, but now they really don't like me, will there ever be a time when these seats are full, like full to the brim like it used to be, where people are almost sitting on each other's lap? And this whole row over here is packed. And now they're outside wanting to get in, and they're very jealous of all of these reporters. Will we ever have that again, or is that something that will be, you know, it'll look like this forever? Yes, that day is coming. The day is coming when you will have to face the American people, in person, and at the ballot box in the least. And that day is coming in November. And if things keep going like they're going, the number of angry people won't just fill rooms. They'll fill stadiums and they'll fill ballot boxes, especially if they start filling the morgues. Noah Shackman of the Daily Beast tweeted this week, if a quarter of the country gets infected and there's a 2% mortality rate, that's 1.6 million Americans dead, four times the number of Americans killed in World War II. And now you know more than ever, stakes is high. But despite that, some folks just don't get it. I think there's two kinds of people in the world right now. The people who get it and the people who don't. The people who understand the magnitude of what we're facing and the folks who don't. If you're listening, you're probably the former. If you're not, you will be by the end of this podcast. And either way, understand that this shit is real and you're adjusting to a new world. Or maybe you're dug in the past, blaming China, pretending it doesn't exist, worrying about the stock market more than the health of everyone in your life. Or maybe you're an NFL player signing a massive multi-million dollar contract from your mansion in the middle of a pandemic without making any kind of donation to a food bank or any local charity. Or maybe you're Rand Paul. Now, last pod, I told you about the eight U.S. senators who voted against the coronavirus relief package in the Senate. The list that I told you included Rand Paul, who, at least on this show, has his own theme song. I drive really slow in the ultra fast lane while people behind me are going insane. I'm on a Well, maybe karma's a bitch. Because Senator Rand Paul, Republican from Kentucky, has tested positive for the coronavirus, and he's currently in quarantine. And other senators are concerned about what steps they may now have to take as a result. 
because apparently Rand Paul used the Senate gym and the pool the morning prior to learning about his test results. Rand Paul is selfish? No shit, really? That's the least surprising thing I've heard all week. He's always put himself above others. Ask the 9-11 first responders like me and Rob Sarah from the FDNY, who had to overcome his block of the 9-11 health expansion bill last year. Rob Sarah is right now isolating in his basement in Staten Island. He's got a respiratory issue because of 9-11, and he is right now isolating, just like Rand Paul. But like we told you last summer, we never forget, Rand Paul. We remember your votes. We remember what you do. And we never forget that you're failing. And others are failing too. Some do well on the lockup. Some do not. Some are winners and some are not. And I've been telling you to watch the VA. Watch the Department of Veterans Affairs. The Department of Veterans Affairs and the Department of Defense can be the cavalry in this fight. Or they can be a disaster. I talked about it in the last episode. Go back and check that out if you missed it. But VA and DOD can be reinforcements with the right leadership. And I talked about it with Andrew Cuomo's little brother, my friend Chris Cuomo, live on CNN. And with the New York City shutdown, I talked to him from Studio A of Righteous Media Headquarters, my wife's closet. And here's our conversation. The VA provides health care services to more than 9 million veterans, but it also serves as the nation's backup health system. So you have a big question here. How ready is the VA if the outbreak grows worse? And specifically, will they be able to take care of our veterans, many of whom are over 60, making them particularly vulnerable to this virus? Perspective from Iraq war veteran and veterans advocate P.J. Rykoff, uh, the man behind the Angry American podcast. How are you, my brother? I'm good, Chris. I'm good, Chris. Excellent work, man. I want to start by just thanking you for your leadership. You've really been stepping up and answering the call, and I know folks across the country have been inspired by you and your brother. Well, when I got friends like you, uh, it helps you learn how to do the right thing. Uh, And you flagged this to me a couple of weeks ago, uh, that the VA had been offered help. They didn't take it. And now they're worried about their resources and being able to take care of veterans. What is the situation? Well, the bottom line is that we are facing an unprecedented threat. We all know that. We've talked about this being war footing. Well, this is war footing. And we need to mobilize the entire country around this threat in a way we never have before. It's truly one team, one fight. And I just want folks to understand, maybe most of all, the VA can be reinforcements. You mentioned it on the intro. The key part of their mission is to be the nation's entire backstop for the entire healthcare system. They can be a source of tremendous reinforcements in this time. They've got doctors, they've got facilities, they've got hundreds of billions of dollars in, in funding, but they've got to be called upon to do it. And until recently, you weren't hearing from the Secretary of Veterans Affairs. You also weren't hearing from the Secretary of Defense. You were hearing from CVS and Walmart, but you weren't hearing from these two great agencies that can be helpful. But I think we've got to understand that right now, that entire agency that serves 9 million people has only tested about 1,100 veterans. So they haven't been ahead of the game here. They haven't asked for enough resources. They haven't tested enough people. And it looks like right now we've tested more professional athletes than we have veterans. And that's a problem if we're going to stay ahead of this curve. What is uh, the inside scoop, because you're still so connected to the community, about why they haven't been called? Is it, it is the political optics of militarization of this in the play? 
You know, it comes down to leadership. I mean, across the board and everything we face right now, leadership, in my view, is going to be the determining factor. The president didn't mobilize the VA. He didn't mobilize the Department of Defense. Now he finally is, and they can add tremendous resources and be kind of a two-pronged attack here in serving Americans. You know, we say in my show all the time, look for the helpers. Well, the helpers can come in the form of our veterans and our military at an unprecedented level. They have scale and scope in terms of logistics and medical personnel that no other agencies have in the entire federal government and and rivals anywhere else in the world. So the president's got to ask the secretary of defense to step up. And then the secretary of defense has to be honest. And a couple of weeks ago, he he told Congress he has everything he needs. Then in the recent bill, he asked for $16 billion. Even now, he's saying, we've got everything we need. But then simultaneously, they issued an order today calling up reserve folks who've been retired, over 1,000 of them, to serve at the VA. So there's been mixed messages, but we want Secretary Wilkie to succeed. We want him to be a lead element here, and we want folks to help. But he's got to ask for that help. And one way he did today, he asked for retired medical personnel who've worked at the VA. So I'm going to echo this message for him. If you're one of those folks, you can step up now. You can help. You can be a part of this fight. Go support the VA. It's a patriotic thing to do. You can serve your country in a way you've probably never done before. So help me understand this, because you've got governors all over the place worrying about capacity. Doctors saying they don't have enough PPE, uh, the protective wear, and they're going to get sick. And we're going to run out of those first responders. You would think that you would jump to the military almost immediately. So let's think a little bit about what we're missing. I accept your answer, uh, PJ, not just because you're twice my size, that it's a question of leadership. Um, But we have to be missing something that they haven't made that move yet, because they keep getting asked about the Army Corps of Engineers. And my brother says that he has been in touch um, with the Army Corps of Engineers, and that they're working it out. But there's so much more capability that hasn't been tapped. Why? That's the question for the president right now. That's what the press corps should be asking him every day. We should be getting daily briefings from the Pentagon, from the Secretary of Defense. We should also be getting daily briefings from the Secretary of Veterans Affairs. We haven't gotten that. They've been kind of a black hole of information here. But the Department of Defense should be fully mobilized to attack this threat. In the same way we were 17 years ago today, to invade Iraq. We should be mobilized now domestically to provide all the resources we can. The military is great at logistics. It's not just about fighting. We can also move lots of people. We can feed lots of people. We have tremendous manpower. And the Department of Defense can be the lead element on everything from helicopters to building hospitals. That's going to start right now with your brother, for an example, with the National Guard being deployed in places like New Rochelle. The governors can deploy those National Guards, and they're doing that in over 22 states. If the president's smart, he will reinforce them with federal assets and not just two Navy ships that are going to take a couple weeks to get to New York and San Francisco. We need a full mobilization of our military in any way they can help. I don't get it. We must be missing something. There must be a political optic at play. And I don't even mean it as a criticism. There must be something in their calculus because they're so desperate for resources. And I had one guy say to me, it's a national security issue that you have to make sure that the country is kept safe and that you don't have the military uh, working on hospitals in a way that makes us vulnerable. But that kind of assumes that, like, we think we're going to get attacked in the homeland during this time, like, because we're vulnerable. But everybody else is getting beat up by the virus, too, PJ. So it's not like anybody else is at full strength. Well, the military is now testing across the force, you know, worldwide. And I talked this week on my podcast to the lead spokesman uh, for our coalition forces in Iraq, and everybody in, in Iraq and Syria and around the globe is now finally getting trust tested. we got to keep those folks safe wherever they are. 
Um, but they have tremendous resources here at home that, that should be mobilized. There should be no political opposition. This is a question of leadership. And we've got to adapt, improvise, and overcome, as we say in the military. And nobody does that better than the Department of Defense. You've got millions of people who faced an asymmetric enemy for over, you know, two, almost two decades now. You've got people who know how to handle adversity. You have people who know how to follow uh, orders and, and get together and work together. It's a tremendous source of resources. And I think it can be a source of hope. You know, over a million of us have served overseas since the Iraq war started 17 years ago, and we're here at home. We can be a part of that lead force in helping, whether it's at the national level in, in leadership or it's in the community, helping your neighbors and friends. We want to be a part of that reinforcement that happens, and the president's got to lead that fight, and he's got to ask for it. This is a time for a national call to action. So every day the president talks to America, he should also be telling us what we can do. That's the mistake we made after 9-11. We never enlisted the American people. We can do that now, and it's got to start with the president. And if he doesn't do it, we got to do it ourselves. P.J. Rykoff, thank you so much for much-needed perspective. Appreciate it, brother. Be well thank to you, you and the family. Stay healthy. Uh, the Angry American is his podcast. It's actually not an angry thing at all. He's just super concerned about things. He talks to players in all these different spaces. It's a great podcast. You should check it out. Gotta love Cuomo, right? All Cuomos, any Cuomos. That was a wild way to do a CNN interview, I got to tell you. It was from the same place I'm recording this now, Studio A of Righteous Media, my wife's closet. We now have two other studios at Righteous Headquarters as well, a.k.a. the Rykoff home. Studio B, my son's bedroom, and Studio C, my living room, which has come in handy in the last couple weeks because I told you we'd be improvising, adapting, and overcoming. We'll make shit happen no matter what. And that includes the launch of two new shows from Righteous Media. Not one, but two. All this coronavirus lockdown stuff is going to make some babies for sure. Probably a lot of first babies, more than not first babies, given how rough it's been for everyone homeschooling and nannying their kids worldwide. But babies will be born. And Righteous Media had two this week. And that starts with Ryder and River's Room. That's Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. That's the song that leads off the show. We've got news, resources, music, community, kids' books, Mr. Lion, and special guests. An inspiring dose of the integrity, information, inspiration, and impact you've come to love here in Angry Americans. We talk about the number of the day, which yesterday was five. The letter of the day, W. The vehicle of the day, a tractor. Dinosaur of the day, stegosaurus. Word of the day, male. And if you missed it, guests like Sean Hull in Oklahoma, who talked to us live from his cattle farm on a tractor. We talked to Charlie the Spaniard Brenneman, a UFC fighter, podcaster, and all-around awesome dude. And we talked to our friend Rob Sarah live from his basement. And we're going to be going live from Ryder and River's room every so often in the mornings, late mornings on the East Coast time, 10, 11 o'clock East Coast, when I can get it together. We'll do this live show. We'll take your questions. We'll interact live. You can find us on my Facebook page and on Instagram. Either one, check us out. It's called Ryder and River's Room, and it'll start your day off right, no matter where you are. And because we're maximizing our productivity in this time of need, we bring you Righteous Late Night. That song from Blockhead is called Insomniac Olympics, but it's a night show. It's, again, the integrity, information, inspiration, and impact of angry Americans late night. News you need, 
drinks you like, music you love, and community that inspires. We come together from my living room, we chop it up. I talk to special guests from around the country and around the world, take your questions, play some music, we do some polls, but it's a great hour of connection, late night. Tune in between 12 p.m. and 12 a.m. Eastern Time a few nights a week for the next couple of weeks. We're going to give it a shot and see how it goes. We might change the name. We might change the format. We've had some incredible guests. We talked to Pyle Mahajan from India. She's an old friend of mine that right now, she runs a national network across the entire country of India that serves as an emergency 911 for people in need. And India, the entire country, just went on lockdown. And we talked to Rob Sarah from his basement. We talked to him in the morning. We talked to him at night. We get his spirits up. We talk about how the FDNY still doesn't have the equipment they need right now to fight the coronavirus. And we talk about drinking, we talk about music, we talk about the NFL, we talk about what it's like to be in the suck. So check us out. Most nights, Righteous Late Night. You can find it on my Facebook page or Instagram. It's Instagram backslash Paul Rykoff or Facebook backslash Paul Rykoff. But we're improvising, adapting, and overcoming when it comes to the content. But the VA is still not. The VA can help but they've also got to be honest about what they need. And now, clearly, coronavirus is in VA facilities nationwide. It's gotten into the bloodstream of the entire national healthcare network. It's gotten into our bloodstream. There's coronavirus nationwide and confusion for VA nationwide. And I've been posting updates every day on Twitter, and here's the latest that you need to know. Only 3,378 tests have been done total by the VA nationwide for a system that serves 9 million veterans, only 3,300 tests. So it still looks like more professional athletes have been tested than veterans. They've got 365 cases, which is up from 296 yesterday. New Orleans still has the most with 106, but it was only 44 two days ago. So the percentage increases everywhere are alarming, and they've had four deaths, but still no daily press conference from VA Secretary Wilkie, and I've started a hashtag, where is Wilkie? These high percentage increases at VA are happening fast, even with very little testing. The more they test, the more they find. And now VA wants to pause the Mission Act for 90 days over coronavirus, and some in Congress are rightfully pissed. The Mission Act was a measure to expand veterans' care across the community, and now it's being paused. The VA is calling it a strategic pause. And then VA tried to walk back the use of the word pause in its communications with Congress after news reports and reactions from lawmakers. Then they said VA is not pausing the Mission Act. The language used to describe the impact of Corona-19 on VA's community care program required refinement to accurately reflect VA's intended approach. Oh yeah? Refinement? VA Press Secretary Christina Mandarucci said that the VA would continue its intended approach, but they would no longer use the word pause. So what does this mean? It means the VA can't even communicate effectively in its limited amount of communication it's doing. Meanwhile, the VA is also asking for doctors to come out of retirement in press releases that few see and are in closed conversations with Congress only. VA is briefing Congress and doing selected press, but not taking questions from the press or the public daily. There are no press conferences. So the VA can't be asked the hard questions. 
The VA not doing a daily press briefing also robs them of a chance to echo their calls for help. If they have a press conference and tell us what they need, all Americans can help. And remember, the VA is there for everyone, not just for veterans. It's the national backstop for the entire healthcare system. It's been called their fourth mission. And leaders in Congress from both parties are finally getting loud, including Senate Veterans Affairs Committee ranking member Senator John Tester from Montana. He's a Democrat. He's pleading with the VA to activate its fourth mission to, quote, provide support to the doctors and nurses on the front lines to combat COVID-19. Here's the bottom line. The curve of cases at VA is starting to look like a hockey stick just over the last nine days. If you're not concerned, you're not paying attention. But VA keeps saying they're ready and good to go. If you're not angry about that, you're not paying attention. Given the magnitude of the threat of coronavirus, especially for a population of veterans that are 50% over 65, the confusion could turn to chaos. Chaos could turn to catastrophe. We need transparency, competence, speed, and leadership now. And my sources continue to tell me that local VA COVID-19 numbers are higher than being reported. The VA, for example, says there are only three cases in Cleveland. My sources are saying there's nine. So if that's happening in Cleveland, what other local VA numbers are wrong? If you work at the VA and have information you think will serve our veterans community and help the public good, my DMs are open on Twitter and I'll keep your name out of it. But we're all in this together, and we got to be one team, one fight, and we got to stay vigilant. And that includes at the DOD. DOD could also help tremendously in the fight against coronavirus if they're properly activated. You'd think they know how to prepare for war. Being ready for war is about getting ready, but the DOD is also not ready. Yeah, they need to get ready. Because coronavirus is not only on the way, it's here, and they ain't ready. The USNS Comfort, the Navy's massive floating hospital that we've heard so much about, is due to arrive in New York City in the next couple of weeks. Two weeks. It could take two weeks before this vessel finally gets here. And it's going to have a 1,000 beds, which is excellent. Apparently, the ship's been undergoing maintenance. But by the time it gets here, it could be too little, too late. So DOD is really not ready. We also know this thanks to our friend James Laporta, the marine and fantastic investigative journalist who joined us back in episode 31. James has broken another big story. It turns out top army leaders are right now scrambling to stop the spread of COVID-19 after mitigation proved insufficient. And James, as always, got his hands on some internal documents. It turns out the army is short by $891 million to combat the coronavirus outbreak that's threatening the entire U.S. public health system. And senior leaders of the army are locked in a debate whether they should continue military exercises and mass troop formations or stop them because of the coronavirus. So they're arguing over whether or not to do training and whether or not to get together in large groups. Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. This comes as the Pentagon announced its first death from coronavirus complications. And confirmed coronavirus cases among service members have surged from 174 to 228. Confirmed cases across U.S. military employees are up as well, from 59 to 81. The number of military dependents that have contracted the coronavirus increased as well from 61 to 67. And the contractors that serve the military have 40 confirmed cases. In total, the Department of Defense has 435 current and recovered cases of the novel coronavirus. 
the White House and Senate finally got a deal done that will create a coronavirus stimulus package worth up to $2 trillion. That's a lot of money for the DOD and for America, but it may not come fast enough for our military or for you. And here's what the stimulus actually means for the average American. How much money will you actually get? Those earning up to $75,000 will get $1,200, plus an additional $500 per child. The amount you can get will gradually phase out for people making more than $75,000, with support ending at $99,000. Joint filers making less than $150,000 will receive $2,400. Here's the big question. When will you get your money? Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said that the money would arrive for most Americans within three weeks. And what about the unemployed? Well, the legislation adds 13 weeks of unemployment payments to the usual duration, which in most states is about 26 weeks, and it adds an extra weekly 600 bucks on top of the usual payments for four months. It also extends benefits for the first time to freelancers and gig workers. That's a big deal. So maybe you're asking, will it save me my job? That's not clear yet, but it will provide $350 billion in federally guaranteed loans to small businesses and establish a $500 million government lending program for distressed companies. You can find more information in pretty much every news source, but the New York Times is a great summary as well. A few episodes ago, we talked with NBC's Stephanie Rule about the potential for the coronavirus to wreck our economy. Well, it's happening. The coronavirus is shutting it down. It's shutting everything down. The Olympics are shut down. Schools are shut down. Cruise ships are shut down. But there are still a few things that are not shut down. And a big one is the race for president of the United States. It may not be shut down, but the primaries are shut down for a while. 13 presidential primaries have now been delayed because of the coronavirus. And with the states moving the primaries because of the coronavirus, Joe Biden may not be the presumptive Democratic nominee until June now. Now the corona is a deadly reality. A number of states have smartly decided that having hundreds of people standing together in long lines and putting their hands on the same voting equipment might not be the best idea from a public health perspective. And the most popular date the states have moved their presidential primaries right now is June 2nd. That date will now award more delegates on one single day than the entire year, except for Super Tuesday, when 14 states voted, including California. So there are whopping 11 contests set for June 2nd, at least right now. And that includes high delegate states like Ohio and New Jersey. Rhode Island and Connecticut also set to vote then. But all in all, as of right now, 636 delegates will be up for grabs on June 2nd. And that's a number that could grow if more states decide to postpone their primaries to dates in June. Now, that's the last month that a state can hold a contest under the current Democratic National Committee rules. Now, the convention is scheduled for July, but this could all go out the window soon. But what it means is that Biden probably won't have the title of presumptive Democratic nominee until June at the earliest because of the coronavirus. And that's also because, as we've covered for the last year, Democrats always eat their own, even now. And it seems like they will all the way to the end. Because political cannibal-in-chief Bernie Sanders ain't dropping out. Even though the calls for him to drop out are climbing, and even as his popularity outside of his base falls faster than the stock price of Carnival Cruise Lines, 
Bernie Sanders plans to participate in the next Democratic presidential debate if one is held. His campaign said it. And that's the strongest indication that he's going to continue fighting Biden in the 2020 primary until further notice. The DNC has said that there would be a debate in April, but one has not been scheduled. But either way, Sanders ain't dropping out. Unless the coronavirus stops him, it looks like nothing else will. But coronavirus is sucking the attention away from the 2020 race enough to shut someone else down. Tulsi Gabbard is out. Congresswoman from Hawaii is out. Yes, really. Coronavirus has shut everything down. Even Tulsi Gabbard. Hit the music, Bill. Yep, Gabbard is finally out. Even at the end, showing a knack for grabbing attention, announcing on the first day of the lockdown for many Americans. She's been the most vexing candidate in the race, but also has a very dedicated following. And I talked to her about it on this pod back in episode 30, one of our most listened to episodes and one of our most controversial. Go back and check it out if you haven't heard it before. And worth noting, Tulsi Gabbard did make history. She's the first female combat veteran in history to have run for president. And I talked to her about that on SiriusXM back in June of last year when I guest hosted for Chris Cuomo. There's one part of your bio that I think is historic, and correct me if I'm wrong. Are you the first female combat veteran ever to run for president of the United States? Yes, I am. Proudly so. What, is that, what does that mean? For you, what does it mean? And what do you think it means for our country? Uh, it, it means a great deal. I didn't really understand fully the significance of this until I was elected to Congress uh, back in 2012, where Tammy Duckworth and I were the first female combat veterans ever to be elected to and serve in the United States Congress. And we both served on the Armed Services Committee in the House. And very quickly, uh, this was back 2013 and 14, saw how for the first time, uh, not only our personal experiences, uh, but the experiences of women who've been serving in the military and serving in combat for so long were being heard very directly, again, for the first time. Uh, and this had a big impact on a ton of issues, uh, things like sexual assault in the military, which is something that, you know, just two days ago or day, yeah, yesterday morning in the, uh, in the Armed Services Committee, we're continuing to try to uh, to tackle, to solve, to bring about true justice in our military system and try to prevent these assaults from happening. But uh, it brings a perspective um, that we've not seen in the halls of, of power and leadership in this country. And it's most important when we're talking about the job of president and commander in chief, uh, to have somebody who knows and understands firsthand the cost of war. Uh, myself, I served uh, five years as an enlisted soldier before I went through OCS and earned my commission. And I'm so grateful to have that experience, uh, both as an enlisted soldier as well as as an officer, uh, in seeing as a country, um, how do we best serve those who have served and sacrificed all? And as Commander-in-Chief, making the right decisions about honoring that service and sacrifice, seeing war as a last resort and truly sending our troops on, on missions that, mm. um, that are worthy of their great sacrifice. So Gabbard is out, and we might not play that Hunger Games music again, ever, unless Bernie drops out. And he might not, ever. For the sake of America, I hope we do get to play it one more time, but we might not. And now, there are tons of calls for Governor Andrew Cuomo to jump in. 
as if you haven't had enough of New York politicians after so many others. Trump, of course, is from New York. Sanders was born in New York. And of course, there was Bloomberg, Gillibrand, de Blasio, and Andrew Yang. America hasn't had this much New York out in front of its face since the Yankees dynasty began in 1927 and ended in 1953, which was, by the way, a 27-year period in which the Yankees won 16 pennants and 15 world championships. Well, there might not be any baseball this year, and I doubt there will be a run by Cuomo for president, at least not this time. But he might make Biden reconsider that commitment to pick a woman as his VP. We shall see. But this sucker ain't shut down yet. And until it is, the 2020 race is still too fast for the shutdown of Soros to catch. Even though the campaign for president won't shut down, there are some who are shutting down fear, shutting down pain, shutting down bureaucracy, shutting down coronavirus every day. They're outside my window here in New York City right now. They're driving ambulances. They're driving fire trucks. They're headed into hospitals. This is a time for heroes. And I tell you all the time, listen to Mr. Rogers and look for the helpers. Well, this is the greatest time we'll ever see in our lives for helpers and for heroes. And helpers come in all forms. Nobody made a greater mistake than he or she who did nothing because he or she could only do little. And they're heroes running into the fight. Doctors, nurses, EMTs, social workers, so many of you that are listening right now. I know our audience is made up of so many people who are at the tip of the spear right now. And hopefully, if you're not, you're doing something. Everyone needs to do something. We need it. And many are just doing what they do best, like this guy. Hi, everybody. It's Danny DeVito. And I'm asking you from the bottom of my heart, all over the state of New York, stay home. I mean, everybody. I mean, we got this virus, this pandemic, and, you know, young people can get it, and they can transmit it to old people. And the next thing you know, I'm out of there. So Governor Cuomo asked me to ask you, please do us a favor, all of us, and stay home, not spread this virus around. Thank you. Watch a little TV, why don't you? That's the great Danny DeVito. You can be a helper, very simply, by listening to Danny DeVito. And watching TV on your couch for the next few weeks. How easy is that? My grandmother came to America at age 16 by herself. She didn't speak English and she came on a boat. If she could do that, I think we could sit on our asses and watch Vanderpump Rules for a couple of weeks. Or we can scroll through Instagram and join a house party with one of the coolest DJs in the world. DJ D-Nice. DJ D-Nice was feeling lonely and put his talent to good use. He started spinning records live on his Instagram and it blew up. Hundreds of thousands of people started tuning in, over 160,000 people, including me, this past Saturday. And you couldn't help but feel good and feel connected. And here's D-Nice explaining to Gail King on CBS how it happened. So I was at, I was at home, I'm self-isolating, so it's just sitting here, and I realized outside of just missing my family, that the, the other most important thing to me was the crowd, like DJing for people. And I woke up at four o'clock in the morning and just decided I wanted to throw a party. And, and I was supposed to just be for my friends, you know, just a few friends on Instagram. And then it turned into, and I was literally just playing music from my laptop. And the next day I, I hooked up the turntables and then I noticed that the crowd started to grow. John Legend is in there. And, you know, I called Dave Chappelle up and he, he jumped in live. And then the next day, J-Lo came and Drake arrived. And 
And then that Saturday night party was like everything. It was like everyone was there. I know. What surprised you the most? You seemed to get very excited when you said Mark Zuckerberg has joined. You could see how surprised that you you seemed to get a big <laughs> kick out of that. I thought that was kind of funny too. But Mark Zuckerberg likes music. I, he likes to play. No, I love that part. When Mark jumped in, it was just exciting. I, the part that, that touched me the most was, you know, I put in a call to see if I could get, you know, the former first lady in there. And, you know, I, I wasn't sure. And the moment that she popped in, I, I just froze. And it's not like I haven't DJed for, for it before. I just froze up. I was like, I don't know what to play. And then the music faded. And I was like, oh, I know what she loves. She loves Beyonce. Let's play that. It was awesome, though. It was awesome. It was awesome. And he took it a step further. D-Nice teamed up with Michelle Obama to turn that community into positive action. And D-Nice and Michelle Obama hosted a from-home voter registration party. They called it a couch party. And the goal of the three-hour event was for volunteers to text 50,000 eligible voters. They were being helpers. Adapt, improvise, overcome. Do what you can, no matter who you are. That even, apparently, includes the porn industry. Yes, really. Pornhub, the website, has donated 50,000 surgical masks to medics and first responders in New York City. And they said they'd make their premium content free for users for the next month during the coronavirus pandemic. Corey Price is the vice president of the adult entertainment streaming giant, and he said this, with nearly 1 billion people in lockdown across the world because of the coronavirus pandemic, it's important that we lend a hand and provide them with an enjoyable way to pass the time. So Pornhub is giving out free content and donating 15,000 masks to first responders from Local 2507, a labor union in New York City that represents uniformed emergency medical technicians, paramedics, and fire inspectors in the FDNY, the fire department of the city of New York. They're giving another 15,000 masks to the Uniform Firefighters Association, Local 9-4. And the remaining 20,000 masks will go to Mount Sinai South Nassau Hospital to bolster the safety of nurses, physicians, and staff caring for coronavirus patients. So it's fascinating, and more than a bit infuriating, that our frontline heroes in the war against coronavirus have to get their personal protective equipment from a porn company because they're not getting it from their commander-in-chief a man who knows a bit about porn. He paid off a porn star once. And Pornhub's premium service, which normally costs $9.99 a month, I read this, will be free worldwide for the next 30 days to encourage people to stay inside and stem the spread of the virus. That's what the company said. Well, in a time of war, we got to enlist every industry that we can in the fight, right? And get creative. Helpers and heroes can come in unlikely forms especially in a time of war. They can come from anywhere. There are heroes among us every day. It's heroic to sacrifice yourself for the greater good, for others, whether it's isolating from your family so others can be safe or jumping on a suicide bomber so others can be safe. Heroes are what we need now more than ever. And our guest this week is a hero of the highest order. We all need heroes, in America and worldwide, especially now. But maybe the way to be a hero is to try not to be one. Our guest in this episode knows what heroism is all about. It's defined him. It's shaped him. 
it almost killed him. And it's forever changed him. And his story will change you. The story of heroes can be our body armor in the fight against fear, our ammunition in the battle against oppression, our firepower in the war against selfishness, our inspiration in the struggle against stupidity, our motivation for the assault against ignorance. As we all bond now in the suck, heroes will lead us to our VC day, our victory over coronavirus day. Heroes like Flo Groberg. Iterations of the story have been told countless times in the 241 years of our country. But this specific one deserves to be told again and again. A boy from France becomes a hero in America for his actions in a distant land. Born outside Paris, Florent Groberg moved to the United States at 11 with his French mother and American stepfather. He excelled at sports, running track and cross country at the University of Maryland. But it was after college that he made the choice that would forever change his life, becoming an infantry officer in the United States Army. His first tour took him to the Petch Valley in Afghanistan. His next deployment took him back to Afghanistan, this time to the Kunar province with Task Force Mountain Warrior. He was the personal security deployment commander, responsible for the safety of 28 coalition and Afghan military personnel. It was here, in the mountains of Afghanistan, that his story forever changed. We were in Asadabad walking and down the streets. The way we maneuvered up there, I, I'd set up a uh, diamond formation. Inside that diamond, I had my VIPs, which included two brigade commanders, three battalion commanders, an Afghan general. We were going to a security meeting when we were targeted by two suicide bombers. Their route took them near a small bridge where they saw two motorcycles approach. The motorcyclists began crossing the bridge, but stopped midway before dismounting and retreating in the opposite direction. Flo then spotted a lone individual near the left side of the formation. A man came out of a, a building and then uh, started walking towards us. Flo saw he was wearing a suicide vest. He rushed towards him and shoved him away from the patrol. I uh, pushed him as hard as I could, and I wanted to honestly I just wanted to get him as far away from my guys as possible. And he had a dead man's trigger, which means he had already pressed the trigger prior to uh, walking towards us. And as he hit the ground chest first, he uh, let go the trigger and he detonated. A second suicide bomber then set off his device. The Army says that he detonated prematurely because of Flo's actions to stop the first bomber. Next thing you know, I was picked up and began statuses on the, on the situation, uh, who was uh, injured and who was killed. And that is when I found out that Command Sergeant Major Griffin, Major Gray, Major Kennedy, and USAID Rafael Abdel Fattah were all killed in action. Worst day of my life because even though we defeated the enemy, I lost four of my brothers. Flo had significant nerve damage in his calf, a blown eardrum, and a mild traumatic brain injury. He spent three years recovering at Walter Reed until he was medically retired in 2015. For his actions that day in Afghanistan, 
Flo received the Medal of Honor, the military's highest award. Today, we honor Flo because his actions prevented an even greater catastrophe. He showed his guts, he showed his training, how he put it all on the line for his teammates. That's an American we can all be grateful for. He's the first foreign-born recipient since the Vietnam War and only the 10th living recipient. Flo's story is a reminder of what makes America so great and what always has. Our ability to embrace the best the world has to offer and make them part of the American fabric. This medal is not about me. It's about the four individuals that I lost. It's about them, it's about their families. It's about true heroes who sacrificed everything for their country. That medal represents them. IAVA is honored to present Florent Groberg with the 2017 Veteran Leadership Award. Captain Flo Groberg represents all of us, the best in all of us, the best of America, the best of this planet. He represents for France, for Maryland, for Afghanistan, for Seattle, and for life. Our country is shut down, but our lives are not. We're still alive, and many of our friends and our family are still alive. And the virus is a ferocious enemy. It'll take many that we love, and we can't save them all. But we can save most if we stay frosty, if we stay vigilant, if we stay united, and if we stay hopeful and focused on the future. On that day in the sun, that time in the future, when the kids of the world and the grandparents of the world can hug and play at the beach and at birthday parties and at barbecues and at ball games and at weddings, that day will come again because of leaders like Flo Groberg and because of leaders like you. And so in this episode, we keep bringing you the four eyes Lockdown style. Is that the question? And if so, if so, it's a home cooked meal of integrity. It's a FaceTime with family of information. It's a home workout of impact and a Netflix binge of inspiration. We ain't dead yet, people. Not even close. We're still alive. And we got lots of living left to do but also lots of fighting to do for those around us, for each other, for the future of our country and the future of our planet. Welcome to the fight. Welcome to the fight of our time. Welcome to a conversation with one of our country's greatest fighters. He's got our back. Welcome to a conversation about fighting. Welcome to a conversation about surviving. Welcome to a conversation about healing. Welcome to a conversation about heroism. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 52.
Ladies and gentlemen, angry Americans around the country and around the world, welcome to a very important conversation at a very important time with a very important man. We are improvising, adapting, and overcoming like we do in every episode, but especially right now, I come to you live from New York City, and on Skype with me on video and audio is my friend, a true American hero, uh, a true American inspiration, the great Flo Groberg. The great and powerful Flo Groberg. I have I don't to do my intros properly. <laughs> I don't know about powerful, but hey, it's an honor to be here with you. It's always a... F- fun time to watch your episodes and see the folks that you bring on and you know you you challenge the norm and so I'm excited to have a conversation with you. Well, it's uh you know you and I were talking a little bit before we came on and this is kind of reminiscent of being deployed, right? Um you know I feel like you are uh deep in the fight in Seattle and I'm deep in the fight <laughs> in New York and it's kind of like you're in Afghanistan in Kabul and I'm in Baghdad, Iraq. <laughs> no, no doubt. And we got our you know our marching orders. You know, the mission is simple, uh, social distancing, <laughs> do your, make, do, make sure you wash your hands and, you know, you listen to the experts. But uh, it's funny because I, I was just telling you this when, when we were uh, having a quick conversation prior to the show. That noise, that's, that music from Skype, you know, that is that brought me so many memories from my second tour. You know, I was just looking forward to talking to the family and looking forward to talking to friends and just looking forward to that sound. It's been a while. It's been years. That, that's one reason I'm excited to talk to you. It's one reason I think that my conversation in the last episode with Miles Caggins was so valuable. He was in Baghdad talking about adversity. Before that, we talked to Chris Fussell about adversity and chaos, but even very basic things like distance work, right? Like we're used to distance work. We're used to remote operations. We're used to connecting with family remote, yeah. right? Um, so I I think for many of us, we're going to be built for this. I want to get into a lot of the reasons why you're built for this, but first we can't have an actual drink in person. Uh, we will do that when this is all done, but I want to start by asking you, my friend, um, what is your adult beverage of choice? Maker's Mark. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Love it. Ah, why do you love (laughs) Maker's Mark? I don't know. I just, I had it, you know, by a decade ago and I just, I used to, used to be Jameson. I felt like, you know, let me, let me grow up a little bit. And, and I, I went to, you know, some good makers and you know, I still have a couple of Jamesons here and there. Can't, can't go wrong with some Jameson, but I just love the taste of it. It's smooth. It just goes down smooth for me. And I love it. I love it. I have Maker's Mark in my in my bar in the living room. So now I <laughs> Me know too, what downstairs. I'm going to send it to you. Uh, and when this is all through, we'll get back together, maybe at the Classic Car Club or somewhere in Seattle. And we'll, we'll have that drink, man. And I was going to uh, ask you, but for folks that don't know, um, I'm going to do it. I have an intro prior to this conversation where I explain your background and why yeah. you are such a valuable leader. But the first time I met you was kind of surreal because I had read about you. Uh, I knew about you. Everybody in the, in the veterans community knew about you and about your story. Um, and I think you had uh, recently gotten the medal. You had been awarded the medal. And I was in Washington, I think, for the White House press corps dinner or something. Yeah. It, was, it was good weather. And I was running near the Capitol. I was 25 pounds heavier than I am right now. I was fat as hell. And uh, I was running and I saw a couple very, you know, young, fit couple come riding by on two bikes. 
And I don't know if I recognized you or if I got in your way, but I looked over and I was like, yo, you Flo Groberg? (laughs) (laughs) And it it was you and your now wife, Carson, riding a bike around, like right near Union Station in D.C., right? Yeah, we were riding one of those, you know, you you pay a buck and you get to ride that bike. And and I thought you were yelling at me for not having a helmet on. (laughs) And then I recognized you. And that was pretty cool. It was just like. But it was kind of weird because it's true. It was right after the medal. And and prior to the medal, no one ever, you know, you know, recognized me or knew who I was. And so this was happening very, you know, randomly on occasion. Someone would be like, are you Flo Groberg? I think I saw you on TV or I saw your uh, your ceremony. Uh, but this one, I, I really thought you were yelling at us at first because you're <laughs> running by and you turn around and said something. I was like, what is what's going on? And I was like, yeah, he's like, hi. And then I recognized you. I was like, oh, my gosh, it was, it was pretty cool. I think that I think that Carson had a helmet on and you did not. If I, I remember think that's what it was. And, and I was <laughs> like, dude, you just got the Medal of Honor. You know, you've survived all kinds of shit and you're going to get killed by a D.C. cab because you don't have a helmet on. <laughs> hey, sometimes you just, you know, you got to roll the dice. But, yeah, that's probably cool. I sh- I sh- safety first. Well, safety now first. all the people who are hating on those bike sharing programs in D.C. and New York, they're not hating on them now. I don't know how it is in Seattle, but here in New York, I've never seen City Bike more popular than it is right now. It's off the charts. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a little more difficult here in Seattle. I mean, everybody's athletic in this area. It's been a ghost town, actually, you know, since this uh, COVID-19 coronavirus piece. But um, it's hilly, though. It's really, really hilly here in Seattle. So you better be in shape. I've seen people try to go up these massive hills and they just quit halfway through. It's kind of funny, but it's kind of sad, but it's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, so let's get you get a try. <laughs> set the stage for people because, you know, it feels... Uh, the president is now saying we're on war footing, fighting this this coronavirus enemy. I don't think he's articulated as well as you could or I could or others can. But if we are fighting a common enemy, if we are now on war footing, it felt like the first phase was Seattle. It was yeah. like the Battle of Seattle. And now it's moved to the Battle of New York. Um, and I'm there. You're there. And, and the next fight, it looks like could be New Orleans. Or it could be Atlanta. We'll see, right? We don't even know where it is yet, which is, I think, somewhat reminiscent of the the, the global war on terror, uh, this you know never-ending war that we've had since 9-11. But on a very basic level, flow through your eyes, which are so well-trained, and I think also you have great empathy, which is part of why you're such a powerful leader. But describe for people what what is it like in Seattle right now, and what do you what do you see happening around you? Well, you know, Seattle was the sort of uh, the first stage for the coronavirus to hit the United States, uh, that that uh, that home for elderly, elderly people. And it was just it's awful how it just came out of nowhere. It, it, it was devastating. Um, and I don't know if we were I don't I know. I know for a fact that we truly weren't ready for it, uh, but it's been the governor's done a heck of a job, you know, communicating every day in different ways. The community has really, you know, rallied around each other. Um, we're following, we're trying to follow obviously, uh, the, the experts and, and the government's requirements and recommendations and peace, but you know, people are social distancing here. Uh, it's uh, my neighborhood, right? People, we had an event uh, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, and, and we, we canceled it just in our neighborhood uh, for meet and greet because this is a new community. Uh, folks are, are going to grocery stores, but I mean, they're keeping their, their distance is really interesting. A lot of places are like ghost towns right now. I mean, this is day 19 for me, uh, day 20 right now, I think, um, quarantine in my home. 
So it's been it's been a while. But I look at it in my personal, you know, uh, in my personal view, I look at it as a as a battle. I do agree with the president of the United States that we are at war with an invisible enemy. And what we all are, are we're infantry. Right. We got our orders. Right. It's called social distancing. You know, hygiene. If you can follow your orders, you're going to be a part of the solution. We got our special operators, which are our doctors and scientists who are out there trying to find, you know, a, a, a vaccine for this disease and this virus. Right. So we're going to let them do it. But for spec ops to be you know, successful, right, they need the resources, but they also need us to do our part. Right. Because if we're not doing our part, right, it's the enemy is going to win. And this is one of those situations where it's it's really not complicated. It mm-hmm. really is not complicated. Uh, you really need to do everything you can to do stay in your home, right? If you're infected to quarantine yourself. Um, but you can't lose hope either. Mm. It sucks. And no one wants to be at home and, uh, you know, confined in their household for, for this long. There's only so many Netflix TV shows people can watch <laughs> so many books you can read. I guess there's a lot of books you can read, uh, but you got to find a positive. And I think here, what we've done in my community is, uh, we've really taken this whole social, uh, you know, gatherings through the internet, through Zoom, through Skype, through FaceTime, through other um, apps. There's another app that I've been looking at uh, with my friends, which is you just sent a video. It's called uh, Marco Polo. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been pretty cool. I'm, re- you know, we've had opportunities to reconnect with friends all around the country and the world that we haven't talked to in a long time. But we want to do our part. And if we do our part, if we all sacrifice just a little bit and listen and do our part, we're going to get through this. I look at the Chinese, I look at South Korea, I look at Singapore, look at all these other places out there that have had some pretty uh, difficult times dealing with this virus like we are currently. And, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. So there's so many reasons why you are a man of the moment, someone who can bring people. I talk about the four eyes, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. You bring all those things to everything you do, Flo. But I also know that you know what it's like to be down, to have pain, to go through adversity. You know, when you were wounded, you were wounded pretty significantly, um, you know, in in combat. And I wanted to, to see if you could talk to people about how to get through being down, how to get through being depressed, how to get through the, the moments where maybe you don't have hope and, and yeah. you, you've inspired so many people around the country and around the world. Um, but, you know, you, can you talk about that? Talk about moments when you were low and how you got through it and how that helps shape that worldview you have now about being positive, even when things can seem dark. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, it is 100% okay to be down, to be pissed off, to be sad, you know, to feel depressed. Why? Because we're human beings. That is where the, that, their feelings, like being happy, right? Excited and, you know, feeling, um, you know, ecstatic. These are our feelings. We're human beings. So, of course, you're going to have these negative feelings. And when you obviously mix that in with, you know, the fear out there, that creates an issue where sometimes you can't, you know, understand. You truly don't understand the situation. All you know is that, man, this is really bad. And I don't even know what's going to happen. Um, can I get infected? Can someone I love get infected? Can I lose my job? You know, what's going to happen to my 401k? All these things, right? So many negative thoughts that go and sort of engulf you. And this, this is something that I went through in my personal life after August 8, 2012, uh, when I was injured in Afghanistan. Because I was sitting in a hospital 
And I remember thinking about Command Sergeant Griffin, Major Gray, Major Kennedy, and Reggie Abdel Fattah, and how four of these incredible Americans, incredible individuals were gone from this earth. And here I was living. I was in charge of that patrol, and somehow a guy detonated at my feet, you know, with his bomb. And I lived, and they were 20 to 30 feet away, and they passed away. And so I was super angry at myself. And, you know, to the point of uh, with the mixed in the, the Dilaudid, the Oxys, the morphine, all that good stuff, ketamine. You're, you're suicidal, right? Because your demons in your head, these negative thoughts, they're winning, right? It's, I've, never, I've never fought against an enemy that was more powerful than my own brain. Mm. And so to get through it, though, I needed to find a positive in that negative situation. And that's the first time truly in my life that I learned how to take something that's just, you know, devastating, that is, uh, that hurts me, that, you know, creates fear and turn it into a positive going forward. And so in that case, I have four new families, you know? And so I, um, I, I got to spend Christmas, Christmases, Easter's Thanksgiving with, you know, with uh, the Griffins and, and, you know, I got to spend incredible moments with the Kennedys and, and incredible moments with the Grays. Um, you know, I got to be there with the uh, reggae's uh, two sons and his wife and his, uh, at his uh, memorial with USAID. And I got to spend time with these in beautiful families and they accepted me and it gave me this purpose. And my mindset was, my gosh, I am still on this earth for a reason. The reason is to earn it and to represent them, to make sure that I live up to their values. And, and then I do something in my life to showcase that there are individuals like them who are willing to sacrifice it all for us to live in the world that we are in, mm. to live in the country that we're in. And mm. so I focus on that positive that I was now a courier and a voice for them and all those folks who made the ultimate sacrifice to go forward so that we can improve our environment. We can improve our community. And so that was a positive and it really got me through some really tough times and adding in a good support system around me, people to talk to, being open and honest and have a conversation about my feelings. Yeah, I know it's sad, right? I talk about my feelings, no, but it's that's what saved my life. I take that today and I look at this COVID-19 and, and the state that we're all in. I mean, there's incredible amount of fear. And I, I'm in the same boat, right? I'm putting things on Facebook like, hey, I'm disinfecting all my groceries. Anyone else doing it? And some folks are like, oh, I'm doing that. I'm leaving outside right. for 48 hours. Right. Some people are like, you're crazy. Why would you even do this? It doesn't stay, you know, but because I'm, I'm part of the system. And I'm honestly, I want to do the right things. But I wake up in the morning with a positive mindset. Why? Because I focus on the positives. My wife is the most amazing human being in the world. And I am so lucky to have her around me. I'm healthy. I can put, still put food on the table. Um, you know, and I know that there are incredible individuals out there who are working day in, day out, night in, night out to find us a cure, right? Find a vaccine to help us guide us through this incredible crisis. So I want to play a part. I want to be a part of the solution. Mm. I don't want to be a negative. I don't want to be another obstacle or another hurdle for these folks in our communities to succeed. What I want to do is play my part. And today, my part, my number one job, number one job is to stay positive and to go out there and follow the instructions, social distancing, do my part. If I can do this, I'm part of the fight. Mm. I am part of the solution. And so why worry, right? Why worry? Why am I going to create all these negative thoughts in my own head right now when I know that there is good. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And actually, me doing my part is going to help 
all of us get there sooner. Mm, mm, and so yeah. how do I influence those around me? So that's, that's sort of a mindset that I have, you know, and this is a really, you know, powerful example today because we're, we're living it. We're living history right now. I mean, every day is history, but this is one of those things that yeah. is going to talk about for hundreds of years. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, everything that you do flow is so powerful. And I think that, you know, we who have served overseas since nine 11, you know, we felt like that was our call. Maybe at least I did, right. There was our call to do our part for our generation. And now, you know, it's an even deeper call and it's a call to serve again. But I also feel like we are better prepared for it because we had that first one, right? Like I didn't think after nine 11, which, you know, ground zero is a couple blocks from where I'm talking to you now. I didn't think that uh, I would end up in Iraq. Okay. I was there at ground zero, end up in Iraq. And that fight after nine 11, I thought was the fight of our time. I was angry. I was frustrated. And I did not know at that time it would prepare me for now being in the same neighborhood with my family, fighting a totally different, terrifying enemy. Instead of, you know, somebody flying planes into the buildings up here, I'm worried about my kid getting sneezed on. But that moment and that experience prepared me for this one. And you, you know about heroism. You were recognized by the president, you know, with the Congressional Medal of Honor for your heroism. Um, can you talk about what it takes to be a hero? Because I know that um, those of you in the Medal of Honor community, and today it's an honor to talk to you, especially because today's National Medal of Honor Day. And uh, to be able to record this, we're recording this on, on Wednesday, it'll drop on Thursday, but I'm talking to you on National Medal of Honor Day. And I've been telling people today, look at these folks for inspiration, because I've met so many of these guys that have been at the depths of despair. Uh, and I think it was uh, either Bud Booker or, or Bob Carey that once told me, remember that every time you talk to a Medal of Honor recipient and they share their story, they're often sharing the worst time of their life or one of the hardest times of their life. And every time they share that story, it hurts. And it's an act of courage just to share that story. But you've thought about heroism. You've been recognized on the highest platform possible in America uh, for your heroism. But can you talk about, in your view, you know, what is a hero? And, and what does it take to be a hero? Because I see heroes now in every form rolling by my window right now in, in NYPD cars and FDNY ambulances and doctors going to work. But, but can you break it down for us, Flo? What, what, is, what, is, what is your view on heroism and, and what it takes and what it means? Uh, it's such a, you know, such an interesting word being a hero heroism i think it's something that falls um on, on a decision on a decision that it's not about you it's about those around you it's not about you know your your goals and your end state it's about what you can influence in your environment your community or the people around you it's about it's not about being it's not about i it's about the team aspect um by that i mean individuals who are willing to go out there in combat military side uh, put their lives on the line and every single day, every single night for the brothers and sisters around them. And they're willing to die because if it, to save them and it's something that they're not thinking about themselves. They're thinking about, man, I need to, I need to make, to be the best of the best to make sure he or she is good to go. That it doesn't fall on me that I don't drop the ball and then every, people get killed. And I think that happens in every different types of professions. I mean, right now, look at our nurses, right? And doctors. Right. I mean, 
I, I know we see a bunch of these these uh, pictures and you know these news stories, and people are like, oh, you know, some some people are probably like, oh, I've seen it again. Yeah, guess that's what they're doing. They're nurses. Guess what? Yeah, they're nurses. But this is next level, folks. Mm-hmm. They're putting their lives and their families' lives potentially on the line to help us. And so all they're asking is for us to follow simple instructions. They're heroes. Our fire, our, our policemen, our firefighters, our EMTs, all of our public servants, um, even our politicians, right? Who are willing to go out there. There are politicians who are willing to go out there and, and walk that community and be, you know, and just trying to preach the right words and take away fear and bring in understanding, bring in information, factual good information that people can utilize in, in their day-to-day lives. And actually do something positive with, right? Instead of bringing this whole fear, I, I can't stand fear, right? It's just like because fear, it, it, if you, if, I can't stand fear is because I don't think people truly understand how to take fear and turn it into a positive. Um, fear and combat allowed me to be sharp, mm. right? It it wreck and it, it it destroyed complacency, right? Because mm-hmm. I knew there was a th- there was an enemy around, and I was scared, and so all my spidey senses kicked up, and I was ready and wired, and you know, with my training to go do my job. Fear today for this virus will remind me that man, I need to wash my hands, right? I need to make sure that I take care of myself and not follow instructions. But to a lot of people, fear is. I need to sell all my stocks because the world is ending and this is going to be terrible. I'm never going to be able to put food or I'm never going to get a job or fears like, man, if I, if, if I open the door just to, you know, walk my dog, the virus is going to fly into my mouth and it's going to go through my lungs and I'm going to die and infect the rest of the world. Right. right. It's just like, Whoa. yeah. And a lot of times it's because folks are, are reading different news stories. They're reading not even like from credible news sites. Right. right. And they start right. quoting things. Or like I'm gonna use this, take these pills to uh, beat the virus. Come on, guys. You know, let's 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 be smart about this. Um, but it's it's something that I, I you know, day to day I'm thinking about, and and I I'm I'm just like, man, if I can just follow the simple instructions. Yeah, I lost one. I lost. You got you got edit edit this. No, <laughs> I totally no, it's my- good. I think I think what it is is you bring in. Great passion flow, you know, and yeah. that's what I love about everything you do is you bring fa- passion and you you're real, man. Like, you know, we we uh, we honored you at IAVA's Heroes Gala. Uh, you you reminded me it was, it was 2017, right, that we honored yeah. you in New York. And, um, you know, you were looking sharp and you've got the medal and, you know, you're so put together and you're this powerful ambassador. But you were the most real guy I'd ever seen. You know, you talked about your struggles and you were open about your vulnerabilities. And I think that that was so powerful. One of my mentors talked about powerful vulnerability, putting out, having the strength to put out to the world what you need. And that, I think, is what we're seeing in leaders like Governor Cuomo right now. He's sitting out there and saying, look, I don't have enough ventilators. I need ventilators. That's what I need. I need help. And on the flip side, I've been critical of of many leaders in government. You know, the Secretary of Veterans Affairs right now is saying we got everything we need. We got everything we need. We don't need any help. Don't worry about it. You know, and I think having that awareness and that recognition um, that fear is real. But as Miles Caggins, Colonel Miles Caggins said last last uh, episode, he said it can be a mind killer. You got to take that fear and harness it. It can be a runaway train or it can yeah. be a locomotive. Right. And you got to figure out how to harness it and put it into positivity. And you've been doing that your whole life. Um 
and and especially in these last couple of years where you've been thrust forward into, you know, I, I try to explain, and I don't know from personal experience, but from knowing some guys who've gone through this experience, Sal Junta and you and Dakota and others, you know, it becomes this Forrest Gump life where, you know, you're a normal guy. Sal was working, Sal Junta was working in Subway. And then a couple of years later, he's flipping the coin at an NFL playoff game, right? So yeah. um, you have confronted a lot of adversity and, and, and going through difficult environments. But that started with your, your, your uh, immigration story. Your story yeah. that's so powerful because you not, not only define what it means to be a hero, but what it means to be an American. And yeah. I come from a family of immigrants that shaped my entire worldview, and I know it shaped yours as well. Um, I, I want to give you a chance, Flo, if you would, share your thoughts on what it means to be American and what it means yeah. to be American right now. And, you know, in your personal journey, as much as you're, you're comfortable sharing, because you are a man of the moment for many reasons, in part because I think what will happen is you are a leader for America, but you're also, you know, well-renowned in France. You are now known worldwide. And this is a global fight more than anything else we've ever experienced. Right. This is truly a global fight. And I think the world is going to be looking to you to define what it means to be American, but what it means to be a leader. So for you, Flo, what, what do you think about all that? Well, first of all, you know, on the hero piece to finish it up, I'll tell you one thing. I just, you know, it came back to me what I wanted to say. If you want to be a hero, you'll never be a hero. Hmm. If that's your goal hmm. in the military or anywhere else is to get medals. Good luck. You're, you're probably going to get people killed. Hmm. A hero is an individual that is selfless, that is willing to put everything that they love and care about aligned for others. Uh, and then they're willing to commit over and over again for it. And that's why you see a lot of these recipients. It's the worst day of our lives because um, more than likely, if we're here and we're having a conversation with it, someone isn't. And we live with that every day. Um, and so those nurses, those doctors, those police officers and you know, firefighters, EMTs, all those folks out there, they're not doing it for a paycheck. Trust me. Not right now. I mean, everyone would get paid, but they're doing it because uh, this is important for all of us. Mm -hmm. for our safety, for our survival, for people's lives. And they're willing to put their own welfare on the line to take care of, of us. And that's something that I incredibly, incredibly, I have a lot of incredible respect for. And we, we take it for granted. 100% mm. do. We take it for granted because they're out there right now. While we're here sheltered in quarantine, they're out there doing, you know, protecting us and giving us an opportunity to get through it. Uh, so uh, as well as those scientists and those doctors who are kind of, you know, trying to figure out a vaccine and, and those individuals who are volunteering to be on human trials. My goodness. Right. That is right. it's so. And so that goes into your, your question, what it means to be American. I don't know personally. I mean, I'm in France and I, I think France is a great country. It's very different to the U.S. I don't know of another country that can rally around each other like the United States of America in a moment of crisis. I always look at World War II as a great first example to me, personally to me, because that it's, it goes far enough that I, I've still, I've met, I still have conversation with those World War II, you know, uh, individuals. And so I can gain an understanding and, and a true appreciation in a one-on-one -on -one setting of what they went through. You know, we call it the greatest generation, but my gosh, what I, I want you to, you know, you have time, Google this stat because I'm, I've been saying this for years and I, I hope I'm right. But I think like in 1938, 1937, 
uh, as a world power, the United States was about 37th. And after Pearl Harbor, uh, you fast forward six months, we're number two. And then, you know, fast forward another year, we're the, you know, number one on the food chain. And Germany is second. And that's because, not because we, you know, we just magically had the greatest military. It's because every single individual in this country took it upon themselves to be a part of the solution. They rallied around each other. You know, men and women went out there. If they couldn't deploy and they couldn't put the uniform and go fight, they worked in the factories, right? Everything was about one set, one mission, one goal, which yeah. is to eliminate, you know, this, this world threat and come out stronger together. And that changed the entire course of our history, right? We be world leaders. People started looking at us and saying, okay, you know, the United States is leading the way. And that's because of our character, our ethos, and our people. So it's been hard hard for the last, you know, I would say decade, but really the last four years of seeing us being so divided, so angry at each other, so unwilling to have a conversation, so unwilling to listen to each other. And now this invisible, you know, deadly virus is bringing us together. It's unbelievable. I mean, yeah, people were you know, arguing about this, you know, this this stimulus package and and you know, Republicans, Democrats, a little bit of blaming of each other. But guess what? I don't think people understand. You don't just wake up and come up with a two trillion stimulus package like that. Mm. The, how fast they got it done together is unbelievable to me. And mm. that's something that I take a positive right here, that they actually said, you know what, let's put our differences aside. I still don't like you very much right now. And I don't really like this, but I'm willing to compromise a little bit because this is about survival. This is about our country. And this is what I love about this country. This is what it means to be an American. It's that you, you're, you're a patriot. And when shit goes wrong or sideways, man, you're going to stand up and you're going to sacrifice and you're going to be a part of the solution. And then you're going to start working together. Mm. This country gave me an opportunity to call myself an American. It gave me the opportunity to, to build a home, build a family, uh, and to speak my mind, to enjoy life with all the freedoms. And the only way I could repay is when it went to war, I had to be a part of that team. I had to be a part of the solution to earn the right to call myself an American as to go fight for this country. <laughs> but to all of our difficulties, to all of our differences, to all of our annoyances, there is still no other country in the world that is willing to truly, truly go that love to that next step in terms of being free. Mm. It's a fact. Mm. You know it. Go to Iraq, go to the Middle yeah. East, go to parts of Africa, go to Europe, right? You don't have it. And we're, we take this for granted. So to me, you know, being an American is, is one, the greatest honor. I'm humbled by it every single day. And I, I can't, you know, say it enough. But it's really an opportunity to show the world and as an American of what is right. And mm. even though we're not perfect, and even though we have a lot to learn, when all hell breaks loose, like right now, we stand up and rally around each other. Doesn't matter who is the actual top leader, right? People rally. Look at what's happening in New York. Look what's happening in Washington State. Look what happened in California. You know, if people are like saying, hey, we're going to make these tough decisions. It's going to suck. You're not going to like it, but this is what we need to do. And mm. together, we're going to get through it. Mm. That's why I go to bed like a baby at night, because no matter what, I still believe in the folks who lead this country in all, sort, all facets, whether it's you know local or to federal to, and state. But I just believe in people. 
And mm. I believe and I know, and I believe in the heart in this country. And mm-hmm. this is why I'm super positive about it. This is why, um, you know, I'm looking forward to to us getting through this. But I'm really, 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 really looking forward to us learning something from it. Mm. And maybe, maybe this huge negative is going to allow us to be a little bit closer to each other in a moment where we've been very divided. Mm. I think I think that's right, man. And and people are going to rally to leaders. They're going to look to leaders for inspiration, for experience, for integrity. And you bring all those things, but you also bring passion. And I'm a passionate guy. Some folks say I'm too passionate. You are you are a passionate guy. And I love it because I think it's an honesty and it's a realness about you that, uh, you know, especially in the military community where folks are so buttoned up. Sometimes when they get out, they have a hard time fully expressing their emotions, but you're a guy that that does bring inspiration. You do bring motivation, but you also, you know, rightfully are outraged by things that you see that you feel are wrong. So I want to ask you, Flo, the question I ask of all our guests, Flo Groberg, what makes you angry? I think individuals and, and, and whether it's the news, whether it's people, whether it's, you know, people who are so pessimistic and, and, and want, and, you know, maybe they're, they're living in, in, in a world of misery in their own head. And, and, you know, I'm there to support, right. I will have a conversation with you, but you know, there are folks who out, go out there and, and they just want to bring you down and they want to create this fear, this, this sense of no hope. I, I can't live life like that. I've mm-hmm. been in situations where, you know, the situation is, 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 is very, is dire, right? You're, you're, you got enemies, they got the high ground and they're, they're out there to kill you. And if you just give up, if you tell yourself, well, this, this is, this sucks. And I hate the world. And why me? Why me? Instead mm. of, Hey, you got this, you got that. Okay. Follow me or lead the way. Let's go. Let's do this together as a unit, as you know, a single organism, you know, believe in each other, having hope. And this is how you defeat the enemy. I can't stand people who are incredibly negative and all they want to do is create this immense amount of fear in others um, to create anxiety around them. And it's a lot of times it's to hide their own insecurities, uh, Mm. to hide their own fears and to Mm. want to have other people feel the same way as they do or like, you know, bring in the same mindset and created this. This creates this unrealistic uh, reality around them. But what it really creates is it's it's another virus. It's just, it's another virus. It's, it's this negativity of uh, a virus of uh, that's so negative that it just engulfs your mind and, and it takes you into this stage of hope to like doom and despair and folks make wrong decisions because of it. Um, mm. So that's what, that's what makes me angry. You know, it's yeah, just that. people that have no hope. That's, that's powerful, man. That's powerful. So you, you know, burst onto the scene because of this, you know, moment in Afghanistan that has, uh, shaped your life profoundly. Um, I think, you know, I would love to hear your thoughts on whether it's defined your life. For some folks, it hasn't. I think you've been a great uh, example of someone who continues to redefine himself and continues to find new ways to be impactful and new ways to serve. You know, some recipients, understandably, go up in the mountains and, you know, build a shed and don't ever come out. And then others are out there doing all kinds of stuff. Right. Everybody takes their own path. But, you know, you've you've told the story countless times. The story has been told countless times. What do you want people to know, especially people who maybe have never heard you before? What do you want them to know about that day in Afghanistan? 
I just want them to know about Command Sergeant, Command Sergeant Major Griffin, Major Gray, Major Kennedy, and Reggie Abdel Fattah. I want them to know that four incredible Americans died that day for us. They died for me. They died for my team. They made the ultimate sacrifice. They all had kids. You know, uh, Gray had three, three, he's got three beautiful kids. Kennedy had twins that were a year old, right? Uh, Griffin and Kylie and, and Dane. Uh, Reggae had, you know, a 14-year-old boy and a 16-year-old son. Uh, they all were leaders in their communities, uh, incredibly well-respected in their profession. Uh, I would have given my life for every single one of them over and over again. And they didn't come home. And their families have to live with the consequences of that day for the rest of their lives. Uh, when, you know, we celebrate Easter, we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate you know, Thanksgiving, things like that. They don't, they're missing a key person in their family. Um, and so it's something that I want, when I talk about August 8th, I want people to, re, to remember that there are individuals across our country, but that travel the world and fight against evil for us, whether or not you believe in it, whether you're pro-military, against the military, pacifist, whatever it is. Guess what? The world is not as evil. <laughs> it's just the way it works. But why I love it is because we have incredible people who are, you know, beautiful souls who are willing to do, make the ultimate sacrifice for us so that we can be happy and, and given and be provided with an awesome environment to live in. And so that day to me is all about them. It's about yeah. them. It's about their families. Um, you know, I am a Medal of Honor recipient, but I'm a courier of the medal, right? <laughs> Nothing that I've ever done in my life in the military makes me a hero. It, what it does is it makes me a part of the solution, a part of the team. I've been recognized, so that makes you a courier. You know, hell, Mahoney, uh, Balarama, Secor, Ochart, Brink, these were my guys on that team. They, they all played an incredible part of that day for the success of that day to save the other 24 lives. You know, so it's not just like as if like I came out of the nowhere and I was this incredible mythical creature that <laughs> saved people. No, I lost four. Right. Yeah. They did yeah. their part. Yeah. And so it, to me, that's, that's, that's the biggest piece. And it's, it's something that, you know, has defined me, but it's not, it's not made me the person I am today. Mm. And every day I use the platform of the medal of honor to hopefully preach a good message to do some good to help, but I don't wear the medal to better to, to gain recognition or any, uh, or, or financial gains and all that good stuff. Right. I, uh, I have incredible amount of respect for it. And my entire purpose though, is to earn it. Right. Mm -hmm. Just like I want to earn a right to be an American. I want to earn the right to still be on this earth for my brothers who didn't come home. Um, and I want to make sure I, I'm a good representation of the medal in the military in our country. Mm. And so the only way I can do it is by one, being a good husband, being a good, you know, citizen, a good worker and every day challenging myself as you know, I, whether it's at Boeing or whether it's in the nonprofits, you know, that I, I I'm a part of, uh, whether it's the organizations or groups that I support, it's by being a good person and challenging myself. Mm. And last thing. Yeah, I work. <laughs> Mel Barnes, I'm 36 years old and I work for a company and I will do that until I retire. Right. Because, um, that doesn't, hasn't changed who I am and I have so much to learn so much to, to you know growing to do and so many more experiences to go through and so many people to learn from so I'm excited about that piece mm. and I'm excited to watch you man you you are um kind of a next generation 
not just a, 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 a hero of valor, but kind of a superhero, you know, for anyone who is an immigrant, anyone who is an athlete, anyone who is a soldier, anyone who is a husband. I think you, you are an inspiration to so many people. But like every superhero, there's an origin story. So when you were when you were growing up, Flo Groberg, what was your first car? Uh, Oldsmobile, 88 Oldsmobile, a.k.a. nicknamed The Boat. <laughs> and <laughs> it was it was a tank, man. You could drive it into a wall. The wall would break. Nothing could destroy that vehicle. Everybody made fun of me in high school. But you know what? I love my vehicle. It defined who I was. They're like, damn, Flo's got that Oldsmobile. So slow. But man, you can drive into it, and you're not going to you guarantee he's going to win that battle. <laughs> what year, Was it a Delta 88 or was it 1988? 1988. Wow. It, yeah, my dad's, uh, I mean, it was a cool car when he had it. It, still, it had like the, the phone in there, the you know, with the cord, uh, <laughs> little speaker thing. I thought that was cool. Power windows. I mean, it was like the car back what, in 1988. And what, what, right? what, what color was it, Flo? It was dark blue. Dark blue. Do you know that my first car was an Oldsmobile as well? And my friends used to call it the boat. So I had serious. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) They're so wide and big. I had the the brome package. It was like that, that felty kind of stuff where it felt like a velour couch on the inside. Uh, Yeah. I talked about it in a previous episode, but that's a, that's a fantastic car. What, what happened to it? Did you sell it? Did you wreck it? Did you sink it? What happened to the boat? They wrecked it. They wrecked it. Yeah, I did. It's the guy. (laughs) I, 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 uh, I'm sitting up. Yeah, I wrecked it. <laughs> I it was raining, and I roll. I did a California roll through a stop sign. Oh Whoa. yeah, and some guy just drove right into it. Wow! And I was completely at fault. I was 17 years old. I was an idiot, and you know I learned my lesson. Wow! So, but then I've and it's like karma because I've wrecked every single car I've ever had except this. Um, <laughs> my new one but everyone i've wrecked since have been other people driving through stop sign or red lights at me it's like okay i get it i was wrong no one got hurt I apologize. <laughs> please stop doing this to me <laughs> all right well me- mental note to make sure when i ride with you it's only on bicycles and not on cars um will you drive or you will you ride it you drive yeah it. <laughs> you got it man you got it you know i've been uh, impressed to watch your journey in so many different ways but it's included a foray into politics you know, I was at the Democratic National Convention, uh, I guess it was five years ago, when you came onto the stage. And I was so inspired to see you. I remember being there and saying, oh, you guys don't know this guy's story. There's a lot of political people, people who maybe didn't weren't aware of you, but you made a decision to put yourself out there um, and, and challenge Trump. Um, and I want to ask you if you're, if you're comfortable now, you know, your thoughts on him, your thoughts on this political race for president that's still happening and whether or not you'd ever run for office yourself. Yeah. So, you know, it's super interesting. A lot of people took it as a, as you know, me challenging Trump. I did not go out there to challenge Trump. I, I went out there to speak as a, as an immigrant about the importance of having a commander in chief that will support our our veterans and our active duty military and their families. And the reason why I did this is because I didn't know anything. I, I, I've never had interaction with, I've never had an interaction with Trump before, uh, but I've had with Hillary at the time. I seen her come to the hospital, Walter Reed, when I was there for a year and a half with no cameras, you know, and just go out there and, at the Fisher house, spend time with the family, spend time with my mom, spend time with folks and just talking about, 
you know, what's going on? What can I do to help? What can we do to be better? Thank you for your service and stuff. And so I saw that on a personally. And so of course, when I had to, you know, make a decision and as I was, you know, registered Republican, that is the person that I felt, well, she at the time, you know, meant more to me in terms of how could she be a good commander in chief and support our troops because of what I witnessed. So I went and I did it. Um, I had heck of a lot of backlash and I've lost some friends over it. Some people thought I was like, wow, I can't believe you're such a traitor. You do this. I'm like, I don't understand how I'm a traitor. This is my American right. It's the beauty <laughs> yeah. of being American and fight for who you believe. I didn't say a negative thing about, you know, now our president. I, and what do I think about the president of the United States? Listen, you know me, man. I'm, I'm, I, I support the office. I support the seat and I understand in the position. And I'm out here right now trying to make sure that, you know, I do what I'm supposed to do in my own environment to, to be the, the right type of leader. Um, I think that, you know, Trump's got a hell of a job in front of him and it's a very difficult job. He came in with a lot of enemies. Uh, and, and let's be honest, look at Obama. Obama came in with a lot of enemies and to all the great things that Obama did, he had a hell of a lot of people that were, you know, calling him names and telling him he was a terrible president and go out there and fighting him and every single policy. We know this, right? It's happening again for Trump. And so it's the same thing that, that I've been talking about for the last decade, right? We've been so divided instead of being able to listen to each other. Um, I think that Trump's got, uh, you know, it's about who you have around you, you know, to, to run. And so I'm, I'm not, I just don't know. I don't know many of those folks who, uh, you know, have been going in and out of the White House. I know he's had a heck of a lot of turnover. So I think that's going to make his position a little bit more difficult. But yeah, even though, you know, you said earlier, you know, potentially articulating the, the, uh, this COVID virus as an example, I still think he's, he's making some really good decisions and tough decisions, right, um, in there. You know, you got to look at a positive. It's not easy. I don't care who you are. It is not easy to be a president of the United States or a president of any nation right now because you, you want to do, you want to take away this fear and you want to bring in some good information. And sometimes you have to do a little bit of gambling, Right. Mm-hmm. Because if you're too transparent, people are going to crucify you. If you don't say anything, people are going to cr- crucify you. Uh, if you say something and the next day it changes, people are going to crucify you, right? Um, and then no matter if you have people that don't like you, no matter what you say, they're going to crucify you. So it's on us too to kind of like take a step back, truly look at the the way of the land, and put ourselves in his shoes and his team's shoes. And I think right now that we have a. It's not about being a Republican or a Democrat. It's about being American. Mm-hmm. And I have listened to some of the stuff he said, um, you know, hey, he's saying it. He's trying to say it. Listen to the experts. Right. <laughs> he's got the folks around him and we need to listen to them. Mm-hmm. Right. We need to listen to their message. So by the next presidential election, guess what? I think it's going to be interesting. First of all, who's is 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 Sanders going to allow Biden to be the representative for the Democratic Party? Is this going to keep going on forever? But I think it's going to be really I'm looking forward to it. I'm mm. looking forward to the debates. I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, the, the what policies they're going to go. They're both going to change or they're going to, you know, campaign on. Uh, I'm looking forward to more conversation with folks uh, around me about this this election. I, I'm just very hopeful for, for the United States of America. I'm hopeful for the world. 
And many people are hopeful that you will run one day run for office. So have you thought about it? Would you do it? Uh, you've, you've been a Republican. You, you've spoken for the Democrats. I think, you know, you'd appeal very much to, to independents like yeah. me and so many others. I wish you were the mayor of the city of New York right now because I think <laughs> our mayor is terrible. But you're, you're a strong leader. You're a great communicator. Would you ever run for office yourself, Flo? I don't know. You know, I mean, first of all, a blessing for me is I can't run for president. So... Um, I'm, a, I'm an immigrant. I'm naturalized citizen. So that's out of the way <laughs> until, <laughs> until, we that, until we fix that, because I think that needs yeah. something that requires a constitutional amendment. I think that's one of them, you know, uh, and you're a great, you're never agree, a great yeah. example why it's you. Uh, <laughs> all right, so so but 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 you, you 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 haven't you haven't considered it strongly yet. No, I haven't. I think it's because, um, uh, you know, this is my own fear here. I'm seeing how this uh, people will go out and create this image about you that is completely unrealistic and false. Uh, just, you know, and there's just, so, there's so much hate in the, a lot of these campaigns. Mm. And that's why I love with honor, you know, with Rye Barcott, what he's doing with mm. trying to like, Hey, we're going to go out there and support folks who are yeah. Republican, Democrats, independent, as long as you work across the aisle with each other. Yeah, right. Yeah. For folks, for folks that don't know, it's a, it's an organization that's trying to support veterans from both parties. I've been an advisor. I think Flo, you've been an advisor and the attempt there is to try to bring people together on common issues. Just as an example, you know, one of the areas where I saw opportunity for unification was we had uh, Republican Brian Mast, who was a Republican from Florida and Democrat Tulsi Gabbard who we had on this show that got together to focus on burn pits, the toxic yeah. exposures that are hitting so many of our friends. And I think there's common ground that we can look for. Maybe in this moment we can find common ground. But but Flo, you are great about bringing positivity. So I want to give you a chance to answer the other question I ask of every single guest. Flo Groberg, what makes you happy? My wife my family, my friends, but really, you know, every single day waking up next to the most beautiful human being in the world to me, who makes me happy, who I frustrate the heck out of her a lot. <laughs> um, you know, and, but she, you know, she's a great reminder that, you know, life is beautiful. Um, she's, you know, if I can just every single day, I have an opportunity to tell her I love her and appreciate that moment. This the way I'm supposed to appreciate it, which is with all my heart and all my love. And no matter what comes at me that day, at least I have her. Right. At least I have that love. And the same thing, with my, you know, some of my fr my friends and my family. And so I appreciate these these tiny little things that are sacred to all, should be sacred to all of us, which is our relationships. Mm. Um, and, you know, with that, I can get through anything. And mm. so that's what I truly believe in. And um, I feel blessed. Um, I'm the richest person in the world because of, of the people around me. Mm. Well, I feel blessed to know you. Uh, normally, we would come to the point in the conversation where I would present to you gifts. So I can't do that right now. I'm going to do it virtually. So I'm going to get you. <laughs> first of all, I'm going to get you. This is a virtual bag I'm giving you. I'm going to give you a, uh, some Oscar Mike gear, uh, Made in America, Angry Americans Oscar Mike gear. Uh, I'm going to get you some Maker's Mark whiskey that's coming your way. And then <laughs> uh, I don't have them here in front of me. But normally, I would present and ask every guest. There are three colors of peeps, you know, peeps, uh, the, the Easter candies, right? Um, yeah. it, it, we, I would normally present blue, yellow, and pink. And I ask every guest of those three colors, blue, yellow, and pink, what color would you choose and why? 
Uh, blue because my it's been my favorite color since you know I've been able to watch the Power Rangers. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love it as a kid. So the blue was always my. It's been like that's my guy, and I fell in love with the color blue. So that's, that's just everything is blue for me. I love it. I love it. Nice, and, nice and shirt, by the way. I think it's blue. <laughs> it is blue. I wore it just for you, and also because it's you know the infantry is blue, and you know as we always say, why is the sky blue? Because God loves the infantry, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's actually, it's a little cloudy here in New York today. It was blue earlier, but it's a good reminder that, you know, the sun will come out. I always am reminded that on 9-11, it was the bluest sky I ever saw. And everybody always talks about now, and sometimes in New York, we've called the 9-11 blue. Because that night, that day, it was so clear and so crisp. But we always remembered the, the color of the blue. But I also remember that, you know, if not for 9-11... I never would have gone to Iraq, which in my view was a mistake, but I never would have gone. I never would have come home and started IVA. And then I never would have met a guy named Gabe Kleinman. And he never would have introduced me to my wife on a blind date in a snowstorm in December. So yeah. good can come out of bad. I never would have had Absolutely. these beautiful kids. I never would have had this life. So it's all about the approach. It's all about your attitude and your effort. And that's what you demonstrate. I also, we both now share an excitement uh, for our friends at uh, Bravo Sierra. And look at you. You got it right there. I didn't, we didn't even plan this. You got the big oh. antibacterial wipes. Yeah, I got, so I got the big one. <laughs> they are our newest uh, sponsor of Angry Americans and from Righteous Media. I love these guys. Um, and now I know you love these guys. This is a total coincidence. We didn't know that we were both hooked up with them until they told us. But uh, what do you like about this product and why? First of all, it's this, this deodorant. I'm just going to go right here. This urine is awesome. It's, <laughs> it smells amazing. And, you know, we, we're talking about veterans that put their, their, their mind into it, right? That wanted to create an unbelievable organization. But also, it's not just about, you know, the financial side of the house and, and create a product and send it. It's about giving back. And, you know, every, every purchase that we have, that, 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 you know, that we make, it goes, 5% goes back to the MWR, right? And that's going to keep growing. So it's just it's just such the military and American mindset. It's like, hey, I want an awesome product that is better than anything else on the market. This is it. I also want to bring in some really cool people who have the same type of mindset. That's what Bravo Sierra is doing. Man, they're competitive, but they care about the community. They care about the environment. They care about each other. And then I want they want to give back. And that's what they do. And so, you know, I just I, I thought I was just a natural fit and, and in terms of being an advisor for them and I love it. I love their stuff. And right now, especially. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This so is very handy. <laughs> anti antibacterial body wipes. So you got the big version. I got the they gave they gave the big guy the little version, but they have <laughs> big and small. And so if you're if you're trapped in, in quarantine or self isolation for 14 days and maybe you only have one bathroom and everybody else has got to use it and you can't shower, uh, this is a shower in a bag. I mean, stick yeah. it in your bag. It's good to go. It's antibacterial. It smells good. Also looks kind of cool. And it's endorsed by Flo Groberg. So how much better can you get than that? But I think like you, man, uh, it's an inspiration. It's it's innovating. It's changing. And I think in times like this, man, um, people need leaders and they need 100%. people. You, you've shaped what this country is, uh, what it was, and most importantly, what it will be. You, you've been steeled by your experiences, but you're always giving back. You're always looking forward. And especially in times like this, I've been so grateful for your time. And especially on National Medal of Honor Day, um, I don't think you say 
Happy Medal of Honor Day. I don't know what you say, but I don't I, know what you say. <laughs> you know, I'm still trying to figure out how to say goodbye, and I'm going with with Stay Frosty for now uh, because that's going to be right. I mean, we we can't say like, hey, have a happy pandemic, or like, you know, I hope you don't get infected, or stay healthy is is kind of rooted in fear for me. So for me, it's been all about stay frosty. So frosty. my my dear friend Flo Groberg, I am so grateful and honored that you joined us. My very best to your amazing wife Carson and to everybody in Seattle. Um, it's good to know on the first front in the war on coronavirus that they've got Flo Groberg leading the charge, my friend. Same goes to your wife and your little one and, you know, to you in New York and to all the New Yorkers, you know, I, my love is sent to you. And, you know, this is just, let's all do it, all do this together. Let's work together. Let's make sure that, you know, we sacrifice a little bit for the greater good, because I know what you're going through, we're going through it here as well. Um, and the other parts of the country are going through it as well as the world. So it's, it's really, really, really important for all of us to do our part. That's it, man. Well, one team, one fight, a lot of maker's mark when, when this is all through. Uh, I'll come out to, Absolutely. to New York. We'll tear it up. And until then, my friend, stay frosty. Take care. Catch you later. You heard about it from me and Flo in our conversation, but sometimes you want to simplify without having to sacrifice performance. And Bravo Sierra is the solution. Bravo Sierra engineers highly effective, non-toxic grooming products that stand the test of the most active lifestyles and will stand the test of a lockdown. In fact, Bravo Sierra pioneered an unprecedented large-scale testing program with 1,000 U.S. military service members and their communities with a pretty simple idea. If the products work for them, they'll work for us. And they do. That's why Flo and I both recommend them. Plus, Bravo Sierra gives back 5% of all sales to MWR support programs for active duty personnel, veterans, and their families. So you'll feel clean, look good, and smell great all day with products that are healthy, high quality, and affordable. Men's Health called it a game-changing grooming line. So check out bravosierra.com. In particular, check out their hygiene-ready set. These are the only two products you need to be clean and get ready to go. With this and a bottle of Purell, you can take on anything. They've got a solid cleanser to wash hands, face, body, and hair as frequently as needed. Probably more needed than normal because you're in close quarters with other human beings. And they've got these badass antibacterial wipes that are perfect when you don't have access to water or you need a refresher. Maybe you're on a hike or maybe you're in a house with a bunch of people in one bathroom and you haven't had a chance to get to the shower. But check them out. The antibacterial wipes are awesome and they have this hygiene-ready set that you can get on the website at bravosierra.com. It's a great way to check out the brand and give them a shot. The packaging is also super cool. It looks like something from outer space and it's really awesome. You can also get just the antibacterial body wipes. They're a tactical shower. They kill 99.9% .9 of bacteria in 60 seconds. It cleanses, it refreshes, it deodorizes. I love the smell. It's extra thick, biodegradable. It's got this refreshing woody scent of what they call white vetiver and cedarwood. I don't know what that is, but it smells fantastic, and they're individually wrapped for guaranteed freshness, so you can get a pack of 10 of those if you go to bravosierra.com. At checkout, use the code word ANGRY, let them know Angry Americans sent you, and you will dig it.
And I am very happy to have Bravo Sierra as the newest partner on Angry Americans and on everything we do at Righteous Media. They're well-led, they're very smart, they're very effective, and they really give a damn about our community and about our country. So I'm very happy to have them as our newest partner. And they've got Flo Groberg as a spokesperson, so you can't beat that. And right now, if you go to Bravo Sierra and get the starter set for free, it's three of their best-selling products, the aluminum-free deodorant, the hair and body wash solid cleansing bar, and the hair grooming cream. You only pay $6.95 for shipping, for a limited time. So go to Bravo Sierra and use the code word angry. That's Bravo Sierra code word angry for your free starter kit. Check them out. BravoSierra.com. The fight of our time is here and many folks are rallying in the lockdown. There's plenty of reason to be angry, but there's plenty of reason to be hopeful. That's what Flo Groberg taught us. And especially when you're in lockdown, especially when we're distant, especially when we need to be united, we can make an impact. It's time to turn that anger, sadness, frustration, isolation, depression, agony into positive impact. It's time to be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Even in lockdown, every show, I offer a way of converting your righteous, understandable anger into positive action. A positive action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans. An action that will channel your energy, make you feel good, and make a difference. And like this show, our actions are always stacked with the four I's. Integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. Many of us are home now, or locked down, or locked away. And we can look forward to the days when we can all be together again with our loved ones and with each other. If we need inspiration, there are many places to look, young and old. Young protecting old, and old protecting young. My 102-year-old Aunt Angie asked my dad this week if she could donate her oxygen machine to someone fighting the coronavirus. That's what she did. She's lived an entire life, 102 years old, and in this moment, she's not worried about herself. She wants to give her oxygen tank to someone else who's fighting coronavirus. So be like Aunt Angie. Be a helper. And this time, you can do it in two ways. First, give them some hell. Trump must invoke and execute the Defense Production Act. If we're at war, it's time to activate our wartime resources. And failing to do it is costing lives daily. And it's weakening our national security at every level. He needs to give the frontline troops the ammunition and armor they need for this fight. Or he's helping America's enemies. Cuomo says New York has procured 7,000 ventilators, but they need 30,000. Cuomo says he doesn't understand the reluctance to use the Federal Defense Production Act. Cuomo has told Trump he needs him to invoke the DPA. And after much pressure, the president finally invoked the act. And it can give broad powers to the Secretary of Health and Human Services. But days later, those powers still had not actually been used. 
And some governors are calling for the law to be used immediately because states are still scrambling over resources in a free-for-all. Now, why does it matter? What does the DPA allow the White House to do? It does a couple things. One, the White House could give government orders top priority. So when there aren't enough gloves to go around, for example, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention gets its gloves first. They can also distribute resources according to national interest. For example, the government decides how many gloves go to each state. So a place like New York that really needs them right now can get them. And they can order manufacturers to produce a certain item and take control of the supply chain to enable maximum production of that product. The law also grants a couple other powers, like giving manufacturers incentives to make products in the U.S. and allowing cooperative efforts that would otherwise violate antitrust laws. Trump has got to pull out all the stops. If this is really a time of war, it's time to act like it and invoke the DPA. Give our people what they need. And you can help. Call the White House. Yeah, call the president. And here's the phone number. 202-456-1111. It's 202-456-1111. Now, they're only open 9 to 4 Eastern, Monday through Wednesday. They're not pulling weekends, I guess, in the face of the coronavirus. Those are their business hours. You can also go to whitehouse.gov backslash contact. You can also call your senator and tell him to put pressure on Trump and tell him to invoke the DPA. And after you've given him some hell, give some blood. Literally. And since this is a time of war, we need relief. We need blood, sweat, and tears. And literally, we need blood. Those seeking to give something other than money can look to the Red Cross. There's a severe blood shortage because a high number of blood drive cancellations have happened across the outbreak. And healthy donors are urged to get blood, platelets, or AB plasma. You can go to redcrossblood.org. It's a great website. You put in your zip code, you pick a date, and you could save a life. Not just a life of somebody with a coronavirus. It could be a kid or a car crash victim or somebody you know. But step up. First, give them hell, then give some blood. Help the helpers. Do what you can. Step up. We can all do something. My 102-year-old Aunt Angie showed us how it's done. So be like Aunt Angie and help us protect Aunt Angie. Be a helper. If you've got a story to tell or a resource to share, find us on social media and use the hashtag AngryAmericans and let me know. Don't just be angry. Be active. All right. Big thanks to a lot of you out there for your continued support and especially to the folks that made this episode happen. We've been cranking hard over the last couple weeks in the face of this adversity, and the team and our allies and our friends and our sponsors, everybody stepped up. So first off, big thanks to Flo Groberg and his entire team, to his amazing wife, Carson, and just for being an incredible human being. I've been honored to call him my friend, and it's fantastic to have him on the show. Thank you, Flo. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and Instagram, and check out his book, Eight Seconds of Courage, A Soldier's Story. Flo Groberg, incredible human being. It's a soldier story from immigrant to the Medal of Honor. 
Big thanks to the entire Righteous Media team, especially Mighty Mercy Rich, who has been the master of cool in all this chaos. She's been holding it down in our bunker, and she's been doing incredible work. My thanks to Mercy and creative Chris Rosenthal. This dude is crushing it. Check out all the amazing videos on our Instagram page, on our Twitter, on our Facebook, and especially our YouTube page. Go there and watch all the recent episodes. You can also see video of this episode and me and Flo. You can see Flo's cool office in Seattle and these footballs behind him and all kinds of other military shit. And you can see uh, my wall. Big thanks to Bill Schultz, the master, especially in times of disaster. Bill Schultz bringing incredible, incredible fire every single episode. My thanks to you. Our thanks to Bravo Sierra, our sponsor for this episode. They've stepped up in this important time. They continue to give back. They are true leaders. They are true heroes. And I really am thankful for their support for this pod, especially in times like this. They're stepping up, and we are grateful. Check out bravosierra.com. And it's time to thank a listener. Every week, I'll thank a few angry Americans for listening and for participating and for being a part of this community. And I always want to hear from you. And we have a hotline. If you don't know, now you know. It's 833-33-ANGRY. 833-33-ANGRY. So if you're sitting around, you got nothing to do, call, tweet, post on our social media, and I will make you famous. I'll make you famous. Like our friend Mark Reed, a.k.a. Sonoma Badger, who is himself out on the front lines of the fight helping others. Hi, Paul. Mark Reed, a.k.a. Sonoma Badger here, calling from Petaluma, California. I want to thank you for the shout-out to Meals on Wheels on this week's podcast. I have my usual Friday today. We've had to make some changes for the coronavirus outbreak. Most of my folks want a hug or a hand on the shoulder or a pat on the hand. We can't do that anymore, but at least we can still deliver a meal, lend a smile, share a few words. It's the kind of contact these folks need desperately, maybe even more than the meal. Thanks again. Man, thank you, Mark. That's awesome. I really, really appreciate that call, and it's a reminder of how taking action can matter. So thanks, Mark. And folks, if you haven't already, check out and support Meals on Wheels. It was our featured action last episode. Go to mealsandwheelsamerica.org. Find them on Twitter, Instagram, everywhere else. And just one statistic to share 83% of low-income, food-insecure seniors are not receiving the meals they need. 83%. So help Meals on Wheels and help out our friend Mark, who's fighting the good fight. Do it. Seriously, do it. Do it. Do it. Definitely do it. Now, this lady didn't call me, but she was posted on Rex Chapman's amazing Twitter feed, and I really wish she did call me. And I want to share it with you. I just thought I'd let you all know, I went to Mariano's today, minding my own business. And there were these women in line and I had a cart and I asked to excuse me. And because she was standing so close to everybody, I did this. She proceeded to yell at me and tell me I was crazy. Uh, What was wrong with me? This is not a pandemic. This is a political hoax. And of course, she got my Southside Polish dander up, which I should have just kept on walking. And I said, well, if you're not afraid, then why don't you uh, volunteer and go to China and take care of people? Well, God damn it, why don't you, bitch? And I said, well, I would, except I have no money. Well, at that point, I had to walk away because I thought about my daughter working at hospitals, trying to save lives with this pandemic. And I thought, you know, This woman has no idea that I'm almost 75, but I'm from Chicago. 
and I will gladly tap her on the shoulder and ask her to step outside and proceed to kick her bleach blonde 50-year-old ass. That's all I got to say. God bless. Take care of yourself. This is a pandemic. Be careful. I love you all. Bye. We love you too. We love the fire and we love all the other folks out there who are keeping track of this pod and who are keeping up the fight. And that includes my friend Kelsey Price out in Salt Lake City, Utah. Big thanks to Kelsey. She's a communication and marketing professional. She's passionate about carbs. Can't blame me on that one. Armchair analyst and coach for all things soccer, rugby, and Utah athletics. She goes by she and her. She tweets at KP Kelsey. And she wrote this week, Hey folks, Angry Americans podcast is fantastic. Paul Reichoff always bringing a perspective to policy and current events that is often over overlooked or absent from mainstream combos check it out while you are social distancing yeah do it definitely do it Uh, a lot of folks aren't in their cars as much maybe you're sitting in the garage maybe you're going out for a walk maybe you're just meditating but check us out if you're in a place like salt lake city utah definitely check us out but my thanks to kelsey and everybody out in utah i love salt lake i love utah beautiful place and i hope to get there at some point soon massive thanks to my friend eric donahoe Eric Donahoe from Carmel, Indiana. He is an incredibly inspiring guy, landscape photographer, motivational speaker, veteran advocate, co-founder of Rock Warriors and a retired sergeant in the U.S. Army. And he sent me a tweet said, Paul Reichoff, well done, brother. Just watched and look for the helpers. Vets rising, hashtag hand up. So Eric is a retired Army veteran. He's an award-winning landscape photographer. He is a public speaker. He was medically retired in 2009 for a traumatic brain injury uh, and post-traumatic stress due to injuries from two IEDs and one EFP, an explosively formed projectile, during his 14-month deployment. He's got a Purple Heart, and he's been honored with his photography being shown at the National Exhibit of Veteran Art in Aspen, Colorado during Art Week. He's a co-founder and program director for ROCK, which is an acronym for Reach Out and Care Warriors. He created this innovative program that's designed to pull disabled veterans out of their comfort zones, face their fears while highlighting strengths that they have inside. It's a six-month curriculum that has uh, building and delivering wheelchairs to disabled children in developing countries. It's super inspiring. And they build on the skill sets that veterans already have to give them new purpose as international humanitarians. So the program's called Reach Out and Care Warriors, Rock Warriors. Eric lives in Indiana with his wife of 13 years and two amazing kids. He says they are his biggest blessing. But check out Eric at Eric B. Donahoe on Twitter, that's D-O-N-O-H-O, or you can find him on his website, ericdonahoe.com. I'll also post it on the Angry Americans Twitter page. But thank you, Kelsey. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Eric. Thank you all for keeping the fire and keeping the feedback coming. Keep that feedback coming. Use the hashtag Angry Americans and sound off and go ahead and find us on social. I am thankful to all of you. And I am always especially thankful to my amazing wife and two boys. They've been really strong through this lockdown stuff. And they've been smart. They've been happy. They've been amazingly resilient. And this week, Ryder has been joining me on Ryder and River's Room. So check that out in the mornings and check out Righteous Late Night. Occasionally the baby wakes up or Ryder wakes up and they join us. But I want to thank the boys and thank Lori for just being amazing during these tough times. And Lori and I figured out a way to talk to Ryder about the coronavirus, which I wanted to share with you. He's four, so trying to explain this to him is pretty tough. And there are a few things that he loves. 
and one in particular. He loves PJ Masks, and the characters in it are the heroes. So we've now all taken positions in that show. There's Catboy, there's Owlette, there's Gecko, and Coronavirus is like Romeo and the Night Ninjas. They are the bad guy, and we are the heroes that are united against coronavirus. We are going to save the world, we are going to work together, and we are going to defeat the coronavirus just like the PJ Masks defeat Romeo. It's been helpful, and we'll see how it goes. I'll let you know. We're also trying to learn a new sport each day. I've become like a gym teacher, and each day we try to pick a new sport. Not every day, but most days, at least one day. And we picked first cricket. We picked cricket. We went online and read about the history of cricket. Then we watched a Cricket 101 video. Then we made a cricket bat and went out in the hallway and played cricket. So I recommend you try it. Learn a new sport each day. That's what we're doing, and it's been fun so far. Coming up, badminton, ski jumping, and more. Thank you in advance to my neighbors and to our unofficial sponsor of this endeavor, Duct Tape. Get some duct tape, people. Forget the toilet paper. You don't need that much toilet paper. Duct tape, that you need. And for duct tape, I am thankful. Just like I'm thankful to all of you, my dear listeners, for tuning in, especially in times like these. I hope that you can give us a couple of hours each week and that we give you the four eyes. Please keep strong in the lockdown. Please stay united. Please keep looking out for each other. You find each other on Twitter. You find each other on the live streams. You find each other on my new shows. But keep pushing through the storm and keep bringing the calm. Keep bringing the positive attitude to me and to others. And please continue to tell your friends to check this podcast out. If you're on Apple device, please leave the show a quick review. You might have some extra time nowadays, but subscribe and we will have it hot and fresh and waiting for you every Thursday, maybe more often, but we're shooting for Thursday afternoons from now on. And please keep the feedback coming on social media. I see you. I hear you. I'm with you. And if you haven't already, go to angryamericans.us, sign up for our newsletter. We will have events coming up at some point when events are allowed in America again. Uh, but we will continue to adapt, improvise, and overcome. You can also find lots of video that may be useful for you if you want to teach kids some stuff, especially older kids. But stay tuned, subscribe for free, and share. And we will keep this movement growing week by week by week. It's okay to be angry especially now but know you're not alone especially now we're all a little angry and that's because we're paying attention and we can all especially now take some inspiration from our friend governor andrew cuomo we're going to get through it because we are new york and because we've dealt with a lot of things and because we are smart you have to be smart to make it in new york and we are resourceful and we've We are showing how resourceful we are. And because we are united, and when you are united, there is nothing you can't do. And because we are New York tough, we are tough. You have to be tough. This place makes you tough. But it makes you tough in a good way. We're going to make it because I love New York. And I love New York 
because New York loves you. New York loves all of you. Black and white and brown and Asian and short and tall and gay and straight. New York loves everyone. That's why I love New York. It always has, it always will. And at the end of the day, my friends, even if it is a long day, and this is a long day, love wins, always, and it will win again through this virus. Thank you. New York loves you. New York loves all of you. And love wins, always. He's right. And together, we will get through this. We can all be heroes, and we can take care of our heroes, and we can ensure a better future for everyone, even if we're locked down. Whether it's to a D-Nice Instagram house party in Rob Sarah's basement in Staten Island with the Cuomo brothers or on TikTok in every lockdown, we can stay positive, we can stay together, we can keep dancing, and we can keep rocking. We may be locked down, but we can still keep on rocking. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Stay vigilant, America, and stay frosty. And remember, New York loves you. <laughs>